This is Commission Secretary Ryan Calkins convening the regular meeting of February 13th, 2024. The time is 10.30 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters, building commission chambers, and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Cho and Fellman, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Hasegawa and Muhammad are absent and excused from this session. Commissioner Muhammad will be joining for the regular meeting. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss two items. The first is a collective bargaining session per RCW 42.30.144 and is expected to last 40 minutes. And the second item is a security discussion per RCW 42.30.1101IA, sorry, AI, and is expected to last 15 minutes in discussion. We'll reconvene into public session at 12 noon. Thank you. We are in recess. This is Commission President Hamdi Mohammed reconvening the regular meeting of February 13, 2024. The time is now 12.05. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle Headquarter Building Commission Chambers and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll. Thank you, Madam Commission President. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Present. Thank you, and Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. We do have a quorum established here today. Thank you. A few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn your cell phones to silent. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your camera off unless you are a member of the commission or the executive director participating virtually, or you are a member of staff in a presentation mode and actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your device. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak through the chair and wait to speak until you have been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All of the items noted here will ensure a smooth meeting. Thank you. All votes today will be taken by a road call, roll call method so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are casted. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their names are called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for generations to come. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcasted by King County Television. Now, please stand and join me for the Pledge of Allegiance. to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for 
or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments later in this meeting once we get the consent agenda approved. Please wait until the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor for these comments. However, it is appropriate at this time if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item to request the item to be pulled for a separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda today or any motions to rearrange the order of the day? Madam President, I would like to pull item 8I. Item 8I. For just a brief couple of questions. Okay, well, we'll remove that item. Clerk Hart, do we have to make a motion for that? No, we do not. Okay. Okay, Commissioner Fellman will pull item 8I from the consent agenda. Thank you, Commissioners. I would like to request, um, so you're requesting item 8I to be removed, and I have you. Commissioners, the, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? Madam Commission President, let's go back to your request to remove 10B. That's correct. Commissioners, I would also like to remove item 10B, removed from the agenda and sent to the February 27th regular meeting agenda so that I can participate in today's listening session and hopefully report back to the group. So I'd, I'd like to remove item 10B. Um, I can make a formal motion if needed, unless there is an objection to move this item off of the business item today. Do I hear any objections? Hearing none, we'll move that item to the next meeting, February 27, 2024. Thank you, Madam Commission President. Thank you, Clerk. Commissioners, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? So moved. Second. Great. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objections to approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. Moving on to special order of the day. We have one special order scheduled for today. Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record and Roxanne Murphy, Senior Manager of Tribal Relations will introduce the item. Thank you, Madam Commissioner President. This is agenda item 4A, proclamation in recognition of the Bolt decision, federal landmark ruling, affirming tribal sovereignty rights of fishing in Washington state. Good afternoon, Commission President and members of the Commission. We come to you today with great respect for our tribal ancestors, elders, and members. Great respect for the Bolt decision, tribal treaties, and also subsistence ways of life. My name is Roxanne Murphy. I'm very happy and humbled to be serving as the new Senior Manager of Tribal Relations for the Port of Seattle. And today I'm joined via Teams and also in person with fellow members of the Native American Committee for the Port of Seattle, we're very excited that we're going to be able to present the proclamation and read it into the record today. Our first speaker to present the proclamation will be Chelsea and everyone will announce their name and then also what tribe they come from. So Chelsea, please take us away. Hello, um, I'm Chelsea Cannon Rodriguez. 
enrolled member of the Kiowa Tribe of Oklahoma. Whereas the abundance of fish and wildlife have enabled the indigenous tribes in the Pacific Northwest to thrive on resources such as salmon and shellfish since time immemorial, and whereas in 1854 to 1855, the United States government signed treaties with tribes in Western Washington reserving their right to fish in usual and accustomed fishing areas in exchange for ceding 90% of their land to make way for colonization by settlers to the region. And whereas the state of Washington prevented the tribes from exercising their treaty reserved rights for many years, resulting in tribal fishers facing many challenges, including citations and arrests for fishing in their usual and accustomed areas. And Next, we'll hear from Brian. Hello, Brian Newman, a member of the Haida and Simpson tribes of Southeast Alaska. Whereas by the early 1960s, tribes only harvested between two and 5% of the annual salmon and steelhead catch in Washington state, which resulted in tribal leaders staging significant acts of disobedience known as fish-ins and fish wars. And Whereas in the early 1970s, the United States government successfully sued the state of Washington in the seminal case, United States v. Washington, which resulted in direction to the state to regulate fishing in a manner that allowed full exercise of the tribe's reserved fishing rights. And next up is Marie. Marie Bill Allen from the Clinkett tribe of Alaska. Whereas on February 12th, 1974, Judge George Bolt of the United States District Court for the Western District of Washington issued his ruling in United States v. Washington in favor of the United States on behalf of the tribes and created a significant legal precedent regarding the enforceability of a treaty right. And whereas Judge Bolt's landmark ruling now known as the Bolt decision, was reaffirmed by the United States Supreme Court in 1979, holding that the tribes reserve the right to take up to 50% of the harvestable fishes in the areas the treaties covered. And next up is Tanisha. Tanisha Simmons, Aleut of Non-Dalton Village and also African-American. Whereas the Port of Seattle recognizes the economic and cultural importance of fishing and a healthy marine environment and how the steadfast work of the tribes to protect and provide fish and shellfish benefits everyone. And whereas the Port of Seattle was founded in 1911 by a vote of the people as a special purpose government to promote economic opportunities and quality of life in the region by advocating trade, travel, commerce, and job creation in an equitable, accountable, and environmentally responsible manner. And whereas the Port of Seattle conducts maritime operations within the Suquamish and Muckleshoot tribal governments, usual and accustomed fishing areas, and has been working to avoid and minimize conflicts between fishing and commercial operations for many years. And so once again, I'm Roxanne Murphy. I'm a member of the Nooksack Indian tribe from Washington state. Whereas in recognition of the importance of the tribe's treaty rights, the port has recently hired a tribal liaison to work with the port and commission to maintain government to government relationships 
and to identify opportunities for greater collaboration. Now, therefore, be it resolved, the Port of Seattle Commission wishes to join the tribes and many others in celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Bolt decision and a firm commitment to sustaining our partnership with tribes to assure that there are fish and opportunities to fish for future generations. So in closing, what we wanted to do was thank the commission for this proclamation in a language that we're all comfortable with. And I'll start Haishka Osiam, and we'll turn it over to Chelsea. Oh, thank you. And Brian. Paula, and thank you. Marie. And Tanisha. Thank you so much. So thank you for allowing us to present and I'll turn it back over to the clerk and the commission. Well, thank you to all the readers. Um, we appreciate your leadership here at the Port of Seattle and for being a part of this really important recognition. Um, I will turn it over to Commissioner Fellman. Would you like to move to adopt today's proclamation? And once we you have a second, we'll start with you for comments on this item. Thank you, Madam President. I'd like to move item agenda, agenda item 4A on the agenda. Second. Great, the motion has been made and seconded. Commissioner Fellman, you have the floor. I just would like to thank the members of the employee resource group for making this that much more special a day. The fact that we come in a day after the actual celebration of the 50th anniversary, we couldn't have uh, planned it that well and really very much looking forward to having Roxanne as our liaison going forward, moving our relationship from more of a transactional to a collaborative relationship with tribes in our area. And I think this is uh, something for me, 35 years of environmental consultant, working with the tribes, if you're gonna do anything in the water, you have to know who was who here first. And eight years on the commission, I continue to carry this uh, sentiment. And so knowing the stewardship the tribes had, the treaty has made it possible for a lot of the recovery that we've experienced. And for this, I should get to you all. Commissioner Calkins. Uh, as we were building up to the 50th anniversary, um, I had the opportunity to read through some of the histories of the actual actions that took place leading up to the court case. And I think it's really important for folks to remember the, the civil disobedience that occurred and that it was not popular amongst the general population at the time, uh, the, the, the fish-ins and fish wars, that there was a lot of resistance from folks in the area because they felt like it was impeding commerce or um, you know, that uh, these things were illegal in the strictest sense. And yet that effort, that courageous work of those, uh, of those folks, Bill Frank, of course, being the most famous, resulted in a legal structure that has preserved for future generations something that is once lost would never be brought back again. And so uh, I think for all of us as students of history, understanding that uh, it takes that kind of courage um, to, to do the right thing even when all the pressure is against you. Um, and so uh, being able to recognize that today I think is really important and uh, it's a lesson for the somewhat they're sometimes controversial, but really important things that are the right things to do today. So thank you for bringing this forward. Thank you, commissioners. Um, I echo those same sentiment. It is so important for us to 
honor history, to learn from history, and to do better in the present. And I think this is one of those moments that underscore that for me. And honoring treaty rights is something that we have made a commitment to and, and um, building on our tribal government-to-government -government relationship. Um, so I want to thank Commissioner Fellman for your leadership on this and moving it forward and all the staff who've helped work on this. And Miss um, Murphy, we are lucky to have you at the Port of Seattle as well. And I'm looking forward to your leadership in this new role that you, you take on. Um, hearing no further discussion on this item, I will call on Clerk Hart to call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. The motion passes. Next on our agenda is Executive Director uh, Metrics report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. <coughs> Thank you, President Mohammed. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. I'd like to begin my remarks by wishing everyone a great Black History Month. This year's Black History Month theme is African Americans and the Arts. African American art is infused with African, Caribbean, and the Black American lived experiences. In the fields of visual and performing arts, literature, fashion, folklore, language, film, music, architecture, culinary, and other forms of cultural expression, the African American influence has been far-reaching. There are several opportunities to engage and learn more about these important contributions over the coming weeks, and I look forward to the proclamation and reception at our next commission meeting later this month. I would also like to wish everyone who celebrates a happy Lunar New Year. The airport welcomed the Year of the Dragon by combining a, a Lunar New Year celebration for passengers with the grand opening of the new Embark, uh, em, em, Embark Whiskey and Grill on End Concourse. Congratulations on the successful opening. The Year of the Dragon symbolizes power, nobility, honor, luck, and success. Here at the Port of Seattle, we have many successes to celebrate, and many of those were highlighted at last week's State of the Port breakfast. Last week, where we had the opportunity to uh, review some of our milestones in 2023 and talked about the work ahead of us in 2024. We were fortunate to have been joined by more than 300 of our customers, stakeholders, community partners, and local elected leaders at the Maidenbauer Center in Bellevue. I heard a lot of positive comments about the event, and I'm sure you did as well about it. Commissioners, each of you, um, hearing each of you and your personal reflections and how you view the year ahead was a highlight of the event. The event would not have been possible without the tireless efforts of our incredible staff, particularly the external relations team, who keep finding creative ways to pack a lot of information into a one 60-minute uh, breakfast. Clips from the event speeches and videos are already up on the port's YouTube channel, and I encourage everyone, who, everyone to check it out, and especially if you weren't there. Uh, also last week was the first commission and executive leadership team retreat of the year. I want to thank all the staff who prepared presentations for your review to share our vision for 2024. Staff will work with the commission office to align on outstanding deliverables, such as uh, preparing additional reports, work plans, and incorporating your feedback on strategic planning, uh, especially related to the century agenda. Moving to operations, I want to highlight a few items. The day after our last commission meeting, the port published its official year of end numbers for Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. The data from SEA reflects the strong recovery in international travel and the continuing popularity of Mexico as a destination. 
Total passengers at SEA were nearly 51 million, up 11% from the previous year, but still down 2% from the high watermark in 2019, making it the second busiest total ever as travel continues to recover from the pandemic. SEA hit month-over-month -month passenger volume highs four times in 2023, in February, September, October, and November. International traffic was wet at 101% of 2019 levels, even without the return of most China services lost during the pandemic. European traffic in 2023 was 21% above 2019, with volumes to Mexico up 91%. Our 2024 forecasts predict a 3% rise in passenger traffic, rising close to 52 million annual passengers, which would exceed SEA's largest volume set in 2019. Ensuring that every passenger has a welcoming, safe, and comfortable travel experience is one of our goals. SEA is honored to have received a Level 3 rating through the Airport Council International ACI Accessibility Accreditation Enhancement Program. Congratulations to the SEA Access Team and all of their partners across the airport for their work on accessibility at SEA. In other operational news, I want to share two employee stories uh, if you would indulge me, just I thought that you'd like to know about and, and kind of indicative of the work that goes on here at the port. On Saturday, February 3rd, Harbor Marina Operations Specialist Mike Sink prevented a Suquamish tribal fishing vessel from sinking at Bell Harbor Marina. Mike noticed the vessel was taking on water and immediately deployed a dewatering pump and contacted his manager. Customer service manager Lonnie Jellings, recreational boating senior manager Carlina Smith, port Senior Manager of Tribal Relations, our own Roxanne Murphy, who was just here, and others took immediate steps to pump out the water, identify and locate the vessel owner, and ultimately save the vessel from sinking at the dock. It's a great example of the teamwork and the positive port and tribal relations that prevented, uh, of how that work together can, can accomplish something and prevented damage to a vessel and to the environment that, that would have been impacted. As another example of port employees going above and beyond for the good of our organization, the community, several port employees currently serve as mentors in the, to the sophomores of the Maritime High School. Last month, uh, Shaughnessy Winter, DJ Lewis, Juan Martel, and Andy Gregory took, took work one step further by bringing 40 students to the Marine Maintenance Facility for a field work experience visit. Employees from six shops set up demos and toured the students through rotating stations fe featuring millwork, carpentry, plumbing, electrical, storeroom, and Teamsters. Thank you to our mentors and their co-workers who took, in, who, who took in organizing this fantastic event for the students at Maritime High School. Finally, on January 31st and February 1st, the Cruise Lines International Association hosted its first ever Pacific Northwest Symposium at the Bell Harbor Conference Center. The symposium brought together CLIA's cruise line members, executive partners, business community partners, and special guests to discuss economic development, cultural recognition, sustainability, accessibility, and other opportunities for the cruise industry throughout the greater Pacific Northwest region, including Washington, Alaska, and British Columbia. The symposium had over 300 participants showing great interest in our Pacific Northwest cruise business. We appreciated the opening remarks by Alaskan Governor Mike Dunleavy and several of his cabinet and staff who flew down just for this event. Thanks to all the port staff who worked overtime with CLIA to put this event together. Moving to, today, to do today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight just a couple items. 
On our action agenda, we have several items related to asset preservation, renewal, and replacement. Item 8H on your consent agenda will replace domestic water lines that serve vessels at Pier 90 and 91. Item 8E is requesting authorization for additional funding for the Terminal 91 berth 6 and 8 redevelopments, which is critical to supporting maritime operations. Also on our action agenda is a request for the authorization of the next cycle of our Economic Development Partnership Grant Program. The last cycle was a two-year program authorized in 2022 and focused on economic recovery and small business assistance. The one-year cycle we are requesting authorization for today will incorporate stronger metrics and equity considerations. You will also see a briefing on our international advocacy priorities. As the port continues to be a leader in many areas, such as equity, innovation, and environmental stewardship, it is important that we make our voice heard on the world stage. This briefing will highlight some of the opportunities we have to do that in the coming year. Commissioners, with that, that concludes my remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, for that thorough update. Any questions? Great, thank you again. We will now move to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide that report. You have the floor. Good afternoon, President Mohammed and Commissioners and Executive Director Metric. I have two reports for you today. The first is Highline Forum meeting of the year was held on January 24th with Commissioner Fellman chairing. The main focus of the meeting was reviewing of the top issues from each of the nine forum members' 2024 state legislative agendas, including Highline College, Highline School District, Cities of Tukwila, SeaTac, Normandy Park, Federal Way, Des Moines, Burien, and the Port of Seattle. Common issues among the forum members included funding options, workforce development, support for funding behavioral health services and facilities, helping to facilitate the funding and recruitment of public safety professionals, legislation concerning aviation impacts on near airport communities, funding and guidance on addressing the large influx of asylum seekers and immigrants, bills to enhance tourism and tourism promotion, and various capital budget requests. Members also received updates from Chipper Manning Aviation Port of Seattle Aviation Natural Resource Program Manager on Aviation Land Stewardship Plan and Tree Replacement Standards for Commission Consideration in March 2024, and Aviation Managing Director Lance Little on December 20, 2023 start meeting focused on the start of the process for a new Part 150 noise study. Members also selected the forum's community co-chair for 2024 uh, who is Des Moines City Council Member Matt Mahoney. On January 26, Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee meeting. There were two items for a briefing and discussion, a review of the proposed Equity and Workforce Development Committee work plan for 2024, and a high-level preview from Economic Development Division, the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and the Workforce Development Team on what the teams will be working on in 2024. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Chung, for that update. Um, are there any questions for Eric Chung? Thank you again. Um, we will be moving on to the public comment section of our agenda. And I just want to say, I know that um, there are a number of our electricians who are here. And so thank you for the hard work that you all do. Um, appreciate many of you being here today. We are now at the public comment section of the agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission 
in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, just a reminder that the commission's rules for public comment have recently changed. This means that our public comment rules recording has also changed. Let's review our new rules in person and virtual public comment. Clerk Hart, please play the recording. The Port of Seattle Commission welcomes you to our meeting today. As noted, public comment is an important part of the public process and the Port of Seattle Commission thanks you for joining us. For the efficient operation of meetings and in order to maintain decorum in the meeting room, the Commission has adopted rules of procedure governing public comment and audience attendance. Before proceeding, we will overview those rules for your general information. Each speaker will have two minutes to speak unless otherwise revised by the presiding officer for the purposes of meeting efficiency, and the speaker shall keep their remarks within the allotted period of time provided. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the speaker's comment period. The Commission limits comments specifically to items on its agenda and items related to the conduct of port business. If comments are not related to these topics, the presiding officer will stop the speaker and ask that comments be kept to those topics. This rule applies to both introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the Commission as body and not to individual commissioners outside of the context of action taken in their official port capacity. Disruptions of Commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Speaking when not recognized to speak by the presiding officer. Holding or placing banners and signs in the meeting room in a way that endangers others or obstructs the flow of people or view of others at the meeting. Intentionally disrupting, disturbing, or otherwise impeding attendance or participation at a meeting. Refusing to follow the direction of the presiding officer or security personnel. Speaking on matters other than items on the agenda or topics related to the conduct of the port business. Attempting to use the comment time for purposeful delay, including remaining silent or engaging in other activity without conveying a discernible message. Using the comment period for the purpose of assisting in a campaign for election of any person to any office or for the promotion of or opposition to any ballot proposition, except when addressing action being considered or taken by the commission on a ballot proposition appearing on its agenda. Directing public comments to the audience. Engaging in abusive or harassing behavior, including but not limited to derogatory remarks based on age, race, color, national origin, ancestry, religion, disability, pregnancy, sex, gender, sexual orientation, transgender status, marital status, or any other category protected by law, the use of obscene or profane language and gestures, assaults or other threatening behavior, and sexual misconduct or sexual harassment. For safety purposes, individuals are asked not to physically approach commissioners or staff at the meeting table during the meeting. Individuals may provide written public comment before or after the meeting, and in addition, speakers may offer written material to the commission clerk for distribution during their testimony to the commission. If a meeting is disrupted by an individual in attendance in the meeting room or by an individual providing public comment in person or virtually, the following procedures are adopted. A first disruption will result in the presiding officer warning the individual that the disruptive conduct is out of order and that a further disruption will result in the speaker's loss of speaking privileges. A second disruption at the same meeting or within 90 days after the first disruption will result in a loss of speaker's privileges. The presiding officer will end the individual's comment period and will announce that any further disruption by the individual within the next 180 days will be grounds for exclusion from commission meetings. If additional disruptions occur within 180 days from the loss of speaking privileges, the individual shall lose attendance privileges for commission meetings for 180 days thereafter. 
This applies to individuals who are in person or attending virtually. If during the three years following a 180-day period of exclusion from commission meetings, an individual engages in another disruption, the individual shall lose attendance privileges for the commission meeting for a one-year period thereafter. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When your name is called, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to an item on the agenda or related to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. When you have concluded your remarks, you may again turn off your camera and mute your speaker. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, and state your topic related to an item on the agenda or related to the conduct of port business. Our public comment period will now commence. Thank you again for joining us today. Clerk Hart, that was not your voice. That was not my <laughs> voice, no. Um, Clerk Hart, please call the first speaker. Yes, let me go ahead and get our timer up here and share what sound, because I neglected to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we do have about nine speakers signed up today. I'll start with our virtual list, beginning with the mayor from the city of Des Moines, Tracy Buxton. Good afternoon. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Tracy Buxton. I'm the mayor of Des Moines. I'm here to support the intent of order 2024-04. So I'm not sure, but I believe that the pulled item 10D would have addressed this order. May I have permission to speak to the item as it will soon come forward in an amended form? Yes, you may. Okay, thank you. So I wanted to say I appreciate Commissioner Muhammad's response to the community in bringing this mitigation order to the forefront. The intent of the order works in tandem with bills that are actively being brought forward in our legislature and also with the advocacy that we are feeling from our legislative coalitions in the 30th and 33rd districts. And it's particularly responsive, though, to the needs of our diverse airport communities, which is really which goes to the heart of what, what I do. I understand that the intent of the order is that $5 million be allocated directly to remediation and that assessment design and planning would be in addition to this. With that in mind, and with further clarity being planned for order 2024-04, I'm very much in support of re remediation for our flight affected residents. Thank you for bringing this forward, Commissioner Muhammad. Thank you, Mayor. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Thank you. We'll go to the room beginning with Alex Zimmerman. Thank you. Alex, please go ahead and restate your name for the record and your topic on the agenda or related to the conduct of port business, please, when you're ready. Yeah, I will. No problem. Sorry, a little bit complicated for disabled old men. Yeah, my name is Alex Zimmerman. Uh, open. Go ahead and state your topic, and then I'll start it, Alex. I don't want to cut out of your time, so go ahead and state your topic first. Yes, Alex Zimmerman. Your topic? 
Oh, my topic, I want to speak about public testimony procedure, but it's today brand new. Thank you, Alex. Your timer is on. Okay, my name is Alex Zimmerman, I'm president of Stand Up America. This very interesting <laughs> public testimony. This reminds me something what is I see before in human history, you know what it means? Where do you find this limitation in rules of limitation? For example, Adolf Hitler, a Nazi in Germany, under Weimar Republic Constitution, did exactly what is you doing. Where is you find these rules? These dirty Nazi Gestapo rules, you know what is mean? We have a U.S. Supreme Court, we have a dozen rules, another court for the last 50 years. What is explained? What is mean freedom of speech? Where is you find this limitation? Who are you? Are you staying above? because you belong to Nazi Gestapo junta, democratic junta, this is exactly what has happened, exactly what is you doing this, and you bring these rules to thousands and thousands people. Seattle have similar rule 10 years ago. And who's? You see Seattle Nazi rules ru use only against Alex Zimmerman. I have 16 trespasses for 1,400 days. For a year I cannot go and speak. Guys, you don't understand why you're doing this with these rules. You stay in above Constitution, about U.S. Supreme Court, about dozen court decisions. You cut freedom of speech by definition. Who are you? You look to me like exactly identical what is Nazi in Germany. What is that in Weimar Constitution? Did everything Hitler put in Constitution in concentration camp? A million and million people only. Because I have different opinion, different religion. That's exactly who you are. A Nazi, Gestapo, fascist, a junta. Stand up, America. Thank you very much. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Thank you, Madam Commission President. Our next speaker is joining us virtually. Her name is Jeannie Ash from the city of Bothell. Good Jeannie. afternoon, Madam President. Sorry, Jeannie, if you could go ahead and restate your name for the record in your agenda item or topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Yes, I will. Good afternoon, um, Madam President, Commissioners. My name is Jeannie Ash, and I am the Economic Development Manager for the City of Bothell. And I'm here to thank you for your ongoing support of the Economic Development Partnership Grant Program. The City of Bothell has benefited from this program over the past several years, and we have used grant funds in a variety of ways. We have used them to augment our budget for a sub-area plan in our um, life science and manufacturing sector. We have used it to conduct a market analysis and feasibility study for a hotel on a piece of surplus property. And we have also used it to provide technical assistance for women and minorities who participate in our retail incubator program. But I truly believe that it's been the past two years in post-COVID when these grant funds have had the most impact, when we've been able to market our underrepresented businesses. With these funds, almost 100 uh, micro-businesses, most of them, many of them, women and minorities, have been able to showcase their, their goods and services to an audience of more than 1,000 people in the course of one afternoon. We wanna continue to build on these programs and these projects and build on these successes. Bothell is a small community with li limited staff capacity 
And we use these grant funds to collaborate with other service providers to deliver these services. So thank you once again for your support. And I also want to thank Dave McFadden for his leadership. Thank you, Jeannie. Clerk Hart, next speaker. Thank you. Our next speaker from the room is Matthew Fink. Matthew, please can restate your name for the record and your topic or agenda item related to the conduct of court business. Uh, Matthew Fink, pay equity. Is your mic on, Matthew? Uh, can you hear me? I think so. Yep. <clears throat> Good. Uh, as stewards of pay equity and practices in our community, the Port of Seattle has long championed transparency and fairness in compensation. Just as the Port of Seattle definition of pay equity and, and philosophy dictates, uh, creating pay equity entails a con uh, consistently applied policies and practices uh, without bias and discrimination. This philosophy must be extended to all employees, including those represented by various unions at the port. Represented workers are an, are an integral are, are integral to the port's operations and deserve equal treatment. In matters of pay equity, just as the ports proactively applies the uh, applies pay equity methodology to non-represented employees, the same commitment must be extended to your represented workforce. Any disparities and compensation must be properly addressed, uh, regardless of whether the employee is represented or not. All workers deserve fair compensation that reflect the value of their contributions and expertise. The port's dedication to pay equity means whether an employee again is represented or not shall have no bearing on the fairness of their compensation by maintaining simple bias-free processes and regularly regularly review their compensation comparing apples to apples with, pay, with a pay equity lens. Uh, the port should uphold the commitment to fairness for all any notion of discounting their labor would be undermining the principles of fairness and pay equity that the port upholds in the community. Uh, in conclusion, the Port of Seattle's pay equity philosophy mandates equal treatment for all employees, regardless of representation status, by extending your principles of transparency, uh, transparency fairness, and accountability to your represented workforce. The Port of Seattle should uphold the commitment uh, to eliminating disparities, fostering an inclusive and equitable workplace for all represented and non represented employees. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Clerk Hart, please call the next speaker. Thank you. Our next speaker joining virtually is Denise Utley. Denise, please go ahead and restate your name for the record and your agenda item or topic related to the conduct of port business. Hi, my name is Denise Utley. I'm a SeaTac resident, and I am here to comment on your order titled Sound Insulation and Repair, Repair and Replacement Program, sorry. Um, may I ask, am I able to share my screen and show a photo? If not, it's okay. Um, without us having to, the ability to review that first, I would leave that no, up to no you. Worry. No worry, okay. Um, I just don't have the option on my screen turned on. So um, I'll, I'll just proceed. That's okay. Okay. I think that um, is a limitation, um, Denise, of our own system on this end is what I'm hearing. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Denise Utley in SeaTac. My port package was installed in February of 2000. 
um, at that time, the port paid $44,000 for my install. The port contracted window manufacturer at that time for myself and for hundreds of us was a company called Alpine Windows. Five months after my installation in July, Alpine Windows declared bankruptcy and our warranty on our expensive windows was gone. Um, again, my home was $44,000 for just one home and uh, no warranty on those windows. My windows began failing within three years. This included fogged glass, mold, leaking, water damage and water damage to my wood framing and drywall. Contrary to past previous comments, this is not considered to be normal wear and tear. In 2007, several of us and our windows were even featured on King 5 Evening News in a segment titled Port Under Fire, and again on King 5's Upfront with Robert Mack. In summary, the port had contracted the manufacturers of the windows, the port had picked the list of contractors that we were allowed to use, and the port paid for myself $44,000 uh, to have this work done, but unfortunately at that time, the port didn't stand behind any of that. So I have now had to pay out of pocket to have several of my port windows replaced, and I have many more to go that I can't even see out of. Just, um, it doesn't seem right that we're paying for that to, to replace this damage that was caused by this program. We do understand that the program has evolved greatly and that oversight and quality has also improved greatly. Your support of this order will help all of us that weren't so lucky with our packages to replace the damage to our homes and experience the satisfaction of today's rate, rate port improvements. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Denise, for your comments. Clerk Hart, please call the next speaker. Thank you. Our next speaker joining us from the room is Nicole Grant. Nicole, please restate your name for the record and your agenda item or topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Nicole Grant. I use she and her pronouns, and I am here to speak on the relationship between the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 46, and the Port of Seattle. Well, would the members of IBW 46 please stand? I am grateful to all of you for taking time out of your busy days. Um, including using your PTO to be here together to give a message to the port. Um, I can tell you from personal experience that um, these are the best electricians in King County. I look around this room, I see people that I went through a five-year apprenticeship with. I see people that I worked with at the Port of Seattle for years and years who know everything about these systems um, who are essentially, they're, they're gold. You know, this workforce is um, invaluable. I think there comes a moment in even good relationships when people feel taken for granted. And that's how this situation feels with our collective bargaining agreement with the Port of Seattle. It's been 15 months, and I'll leave it to the people at the negotiating table to, to cover the details and to know that information. But I know our demands to be fair, to be something that everybody else in the trades at the port has, 
and to be completely within the Port of Seattle's budget. I think that there is an opportunity to reestablish strong relations going forward. But I want to be clear that this is not going to go away. We secured a sanction from the Seattle Building Trades today for our informational bannering, and um, we're going to keep it up until we get a fair contract. Thank you, Nicole, for your comments. Clark Hart, please call the next speaker. Thank you. I had a runaway buzzer there for a moment. Um, our next speaker joining us virtually is Elizabeth Burton. Elizabeth, please restate your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business or an agenda item. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Burton. My topic is item 8I, the Tourism Marketing Support Program. Item 8I asks for $600,000 of taxpayer money for the express purpose of increasing air traffic through SeaTac Airport. This program will make businesses throughout Washington state even more dependent on air travel than they already are. At a time when the world is poised to blow past 1.5 degrees of warming, the port is studiously ignoring the climate impacts of these additional flights while simultaneously claiming that this program promotes responsible and sustainable tourism. In addition to offending common sense, this oversight violates guiding principle number six of your responsible travel handbook, account for all tourism costs. Another quote from your handbook, it is not possible to make sound decisions without data. Yet the analysis of the pros and cons of this program is so lacking in data that it's useless. Alternative two, fully funding the program has no cons listed at all, only pros. A serious analysis would include and quantify the following cons, the greenhouse gases emitted by the additional flights and the suffering and early death residents of near airport communities will experience from the pollution and noise generated by these flights. Not only is this data necessary for any responsible evaluation of the program, but King County taxpayers deserve this level of transparency about how this use of their money will harm them, their children, their communities, and the wider world. Your automatic approval of programs that increase flights with no consideration or acknowledgement of the resulting harms is a profound failure of leadership. Item 8i has been taken out of the consent agenda. I urge you to postpone voting on it until you have an analysis of the pros and cons that includes the climate and public health impacts of the additional flights it will generate. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Clerk Hart, please call the next speaker. Thank you. Our next speaker joining from the room is Katie Garrow. Katie, please go ahead and restate your name for the record and your agenda item or topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Thank you, Katie Garrow. I'm here to talk about the IBW 46 contract. My pronouns are she and her. Good afternoon, Commission, and good afternoon, brothers and sisters. On behalf of the hundreds of thousands of union members in King County who MLK Labor represents, including research scientists, machinists, dock workers, teachers, bus drivers, flight attendants, and many other trades in our economy, I want to express our unified and full-throated support for the IBEW 46 members here in this room. Last week at the State of the Port, and even here, 
we, uh, during Admiral Metric's report, we heard about the successful and profitable year that the Port of Seattle had in 2023. And that is great news and we celebrate it. What we ask for as working people who make the Port of Seattle run is that that prosperity be shared with us. In such a wealthy place, at such a healthy organization, there is no morally defensible reason not to pay IBW 46 members who work here at the port in line with what they make in the external market. Finally, I wanna say that a fight about money is never really about money. A fight about money in a contract negotiation is about dads who can afford to give their kids braces. It's about families taking a long awaited vacation. It's about adult children who are working and of being able to afford an, a caretaker for a parent to make sure they take their meds on time. And finally, it's about signaling respect, like Nicole talked about, that you respect the contributions of the people who make this organization run and that you respect the contributions of people who work for a living. The last thing I wanna raise is that I think IBW 46 is positioned to be a stellar partner of the Port of Seattle because of your values about climate change and environmental stewardship. The IBEW is well known nationally and within the labor community for their advocacy to reduce carbon emissions and to electrify so many of our resources. Stop. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Clark Hart, please call the next speaker. Thank you. Our last speaker signed up today virtually is JC Harris. JC, please restate your name and your topic related to the conduct of port business or the agenda item. Thank you. My name is JC Harris, and I am speaking on behalf of the now pulled uh, 10B. Um, I wanted to report a bit about um, what I heard in Olympia, uh, because I believe that what you're proposing is in alignment with uh, the state proposals. Um, and I heard quite a bit of, well, we'd really love to, but, and there were several ideas for alternate funding. And if you try to talk about tweaking things to make it a better bill, immediately things get taken off the table. Um, for me, it's, <laughs> you know, this has to be something that becomes a better proposal. And I would just suggest that this is really about the homes more than the homeowners, as um, maybe grading as that may sound. The idea is to protect the homes through the generations. That's why people sign the perpetual navigation easement. It's not about any individual owner. And so I hope you'll be open to tweaking your proposal to make it more efficient. I'll just tell you that this is about middle housing. The equity will take care of itself. Um, and I want people to understand, you know, we've been at this a while and it is a justice issue and it's not a recent issue. We have tried to avoid blame but this goes back to the 90s. It's the reason that I've sent you, you know, information about how long-standing these uh, issues have been. Um, 
we don't want to get into blame because conflict doesn't get anywhere. But let's be candid here. Uh, I testified with your lobbyists in 2019 on HB 2315 to make it possible for you to do the updates. It's been almost five years. So uh, I, I think people, you know, quite rightly feel that the clock has been ticking. And I'll just close by telling you that every month you wait, it literally takes homes off the table. Please act now. Thank you. Thank you, JC. Clerk Hart, was that the final speaker? Okay. Well, that concludes our sign-ups for today. Is there anyone else present on Teams call or present in the room today who didn't sign up but who wishes to address the commission? Hearing none, at this time, I'll ask clerk, the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments received. Thank you, Madam Commission President, members of the Commission, Executive Director Metric. We've received nine written comments for today's meeting. I'll try to move through these quickly. They've been previously emailed to the members of the Commission and will become a part of this meeting's record. The first comes from James Henderson, Economic Development Manager for the City of North Bend. He writes to support item 10A on the agenda, the Port of Seattle's Economic Development Partnership Grant Program, noting that the program is a valuable resource to rural communities and allows them to implement innovative and collaborative initiatives to support their small businesses, increase needed tax revenue, and foster collaboration among economic development partners such as the Snow Valley Chamber of Commerce. Our next comment comes from Sharon Parker, retired noise officer and sound installation program manager at King County International Airport at Boeing Field and Secretary of the Quiet Skies Coalition, formerly of Burien, and the City of Burien's Airport Committee for four years. He writes to state that the timeline associated with item 10B, the sound installation order is unrealistic, asks if FAA guidelines regarding eligibility will be followed, asks if homeowners understand what's contained in the equity index database, and speaks regarding the WashDOT and PSRC expert arbitration panel review of noise and demand system management report issued March 12, 1996 and its related findings. Our next comment comes from Janet Quinn, City of Kenmore, who writes in support of Agenda Item 10A, the Port of Seattle's Economic Development Partnership Grant Program, noting how critical port funds have been to their work as a small city without an economic development staff, and speaks to the assistance the grant provides. Derek Speck, Economic Development Administrator for the City of Tukwila, also writes in support of Agenda Item 10A, noting that the grants have been very helpful to the city as they have been used, the, have they've used the grants for tourism promotion, small business assistance, and attracting aerospace businesses. Kimberly Ellert, Ellertson, Executive Director for the Woodenville Chamber of Commerce, writes in support of Agenda Item 10A, noting that the Economic Development Partnership Grant Program has played a crucial role in bolstering Woodenville's local business economy and enhancing tourism in Northeast King County. Michelle Evans, council member for the City of Woodenville, also writes in support of Agenda Item 10A, stating that the program has been instrumental in helping Woodenville rebound after the COVID-19 pandemic and has allowed the city to partner with the local chamber to promote local businesses in the community and to support tourism. 
Jen Davis Hayes from the city of Issaquah also writes in support of agenda item 10A, reauthorization of the Port's Economic Development Partnership Grant Program, stating the program has been integral to Issaquah's ability to start and grow a shop local program, Issaquah Loyal, support entrepreneurial businesses assistance through a regional partnership, Startup 425, support regional economic partnerships with their chamber and more. Nicole Wiebe, city of Snoqualmie, writes in support of agenda item 10A, stating that the proposed one-year timeline would be appreciated, the funding increase is appreciated, and the emphasis on marketing is a perfect fit for the needs of the community, allowing the flexibility to leverage, collaborate, and or supplement the city's budget for tourism and economic development. And then Elizabeth Burton submitted written comments in support of her spoken comments earlier here in this meeting. And I do believe we had another written comment come in after the deadline that has also been distributed to you and will be included in the meeting's record. And that concludes the written comments received today. Thank you, Clark Hart, for that synopsis. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda at this time. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda items covering items 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, 8F, 8G, 8H, and 8J. So moved. Second. The motion has been made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For approval of the consent agenda, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. The motion has passed. So going back to item 8i um, that was removed from the agenda, um, removed from the consent agenda, at this time I'll ask the clerk to introduce the item or read the item into the record and executive metric will introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 8i, commission authorization of the 2024-2025 tourism marketing grant program and authorization for the executive director to approve execution for all related contract agreements for the 2024-25 Selected Tourism Marketing Support Program recipients in an amount not to exceed $600,000. Commissioners, you received details about this program during the tourism development briefing at our last meeting. Today we're asking you to authorize our Port Tourism Marketing Grant Program. This initiative, which provides matching funds to tourism partners across the state, helps market travel opportunities that use SEA in our maritime gateways. Nick Leonti, the uh, Director of Tourism Development, is here to answer questions regarding this. Great. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. We'll start with Commissioner Fellman. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Nick. And uh, thank you. it's a great uh, presentation that we're not going to make you go through. It's very self-explanatory. Okay. <laughs> and um, I, I just want to express my appreciation for the commitment to expanding not just the amount of money, you're doubling the budget of the program, you're uh, doubling the amount of money that any one project can receive from ten to $20,000, right. as well as um, expanding the scope of projects that are eligible uh, or mm -hmm. emphasizing projects that were previously uh, not a focus. So the, all of these things I see as 
as very positive and um and and you know and so getting into things like you know accessible and cultural and dei and eco tourism related things are just this natural evolution of the port's interest in tourism and uh we salute that i'm my um my question really has to do with the sort of like the evaluation scoring and coordination with other entities that are okay. also doing tourism programs. And um, so, you know, I see how you've evolved the, the scoring to just get it down to like four major right. bullets, the overall impact, the shoulder season impact, DEI and environmental. And um, obviously within there, there's a lot of subtexts to have. And so, right. I was just wondering, like, do we have like a panel at the port that reviews this? Do you take external yeah, people? So we we have a um, last year, for example, we had a four person panel, all port employees, um, that include myself, um, Gail Mueller, our tourism um, project specialist, um, uh, Causeway Ishiwata from the airport, and Stephanie Riley from Maritime Marketing. Um, and that panel can change each year, but it's always been internal, um, you know experts in within the port that um, evaluate each of the proposals and then um, after each judge evaluates proposals on their own we have a, a meeting of all the judges together to go through them one by one to com compare notes and obviously a lot of the proposals are uh, you know, neck and neck as it gets down there so they make those determinations but there uh, are I, no external um, judges do, do I, I'm just thinking as we're expanding into these areas that are relatively new like mm. that woman the man who gave that presentation at the clea conference the uh the uh, accessibility speaker was just extraordinary mm -hmm. and i know we've done a lot of work with accessibility issues at the port but that was like this huge right. realm of expertise specifically that was specific primarily to cruise but then he's talking mm -hmm. about the seamlessness between the airport and the cruise I, I just think there's um a talent pool out there that i don't know whether mm as advisors or something like that you might consider to, obviously it's the right. port's money, ultimately it should be the port's decision or it's the public's money, the port is right. making these decisions. But I'm just suggesting that potentially um, that would be helpful. And then I, you know, Washington State Tourism and there are others I believe that also have grant programs and that, you know, to make sure that we're not right. you know, double dipping or, or somebody's double dipping. Right, and, and I am aware of the other uh, grant programs, especially the state. Um, and we, uh, yours is very much focused on tourism marketing for our, our local partners. Um, and I am open, you know, I inherited this program last year when I joined, and you know, I had some of the same questions, can we bring in external judges? And, um, you know, um, I'm open to having that conversation with CPO, see uh, what, the, what the rules are within the port. Um, but that's uh, um, up for consideration. All right, well, thank you. I, I really mm -hmm. did not, um have anything but appreciation to express for it. I've just, I just Great. see, I mean, I, I guess like with our diversity in contracting, we have mm -hmm. like goals, right? We want to have right. X and percentage of this, that, or the other thing. I mm -hmm. see the way we have it here is like, we're allocating points waiting for right. these different components. So previously um, we did have a, a goal of 50% of the uh, awarded grants to reach the, to be um, you know, DEI focused, environmentally focused. Um, and the way we're doing it this year is we'll really be able to have a, you know, more of a, like an ecotourism score at the end of this, a score that we can work to improve year after year um, based on the evaluations of all the programs. Um, we'll be able to have that number for, you know, DEI programs for um, what had the best impact on shoulder seasons and what, um, 
have the best impact on ecotourism and give us so some. sort of be evaluation within each category. Right, we will be able to have numbers like that that we can work to improve each year, rather than trying to. We run into you know, some of these programs check multiple boxes, right, uh, at a different level. Some have a very strong impact on DEI, but maybe not so much environmental. This will give us a score that we can work to improve in the future and kind of a base point moving forward. All right, last but last. Um, so I do know that originally we were talking about environmental type tourism, getting people outdoors was a good right. thing and that we would support organizations that provided outdoor experiences. Obviously we need to do, in addition to that, this uh, stewardship of those resources, right. we're encouraging people to put sort of more pressure on. So I, mm -hmm. and I know the handbook that you've created has very much guidelines like that, and you will be using that in the evaluation process. I guess I would love to make sure that we hear about how these environmentally targeted or culturally targeted programs are stewarding as well. And okay. that I will leave you to be great productive. And it starts like in April, right? Your grant applications the, open up in April? If, if we're authorized today, we'll launch tomorrow. So, um, <laughs> But decisions are made like- <laughs> Decisions will be made. Uh, the deadline will, end, will be the end of March. End of March. All right, yeah, so get, get busy. All right, thank you. Yeah. We'll consider that improvement. <laughs> Are there any additional questions from the commissioners? All right. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second to approve item 8AI? So moved. Second. Great. The motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you. The motion passes. Congrats. Um, moving on in the agenda, we have three new business items today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, authorization for the executive director to execute contract agreements and to implement the 2024 Economic Development Partnership Program with King County Cities in an amount not to exceed $900,000, including authorization for the executive director to execute contracts using unutilized program funding to advance regional initiatives to further equitable and small business recovery. Commissioners, our Economic Development Partnership Program is an important part of our economic, economic development strategy. In 2021, uh, City Partners provided outreach and assistance to over 1,000 businesses across the region. The 2022-2023 cycle of this program focused on relief and economic recovery efforts. This request is to authorize a one-year program with a greater emphasis on equity. So presenters this afternoon are Dave McFadden, Managing Director, Economic Development, and Annie Tran, Economic Development Manager. So Dave, I'll turn it over to Dave for introductory. Good afternoon, Commissioners uh, and Executive Director Metric. Let's go ahead and get the slide deck going. We're pleased to be here today, and we're asking you to authorize our City Economic Development Partnership Program uh, for one year going forward. Um, yeah, uh, wait for the deck, excuse me. Aubrey's computer went down. Give me a moment. Here we go. Okay, next slide, please. 
So yeah, we're requesting authorization to uh, implement this program for another year in a tune of not uh, funding not to exceed $900,000. Let's go to the next slide. We created this program in 2016 to really extend our visibility, reach, and impact across the region um, and build deeper partnerships with the cities. Uh, the program works under the following parameters. We provide matching grants, um, 5,000 5, at a minimum to 60,000 as a maximum based on a per capita uh, population formula. The cities do match this funding 50%, uh, so they do have skin in the game. And the only other thing I want to mention is we really did a big pivot during COVID. We put more emphasis on small business relief and rebuilding our local tourism industry as priorities. So with that, I'd love to turn it over to our economic development manager, Annie Tran, who will highlight some of the impacts of the program over the last couple of years, introduce a few of our guests uh, from cities to talk about their results. Thank you so much, Dave. Commissioners, we're so pleased. Um, next slide, please. We're so pleased to um, share with you that 27 cities participated in the last grant cycle between 2022 and 2023. And as you can see here, most of the funding went to support small business assistance by local employees placemaking projects, as well as tourism. And um, this, the ports share uh, distributed $1.4 million to support these efforts, and it really helped us build and solidify partnerships with cities across King County and increase the visibility of the port's impact and commitment to economic development across our region. So uh, as you can see here, the cities also invested more than 50% that was required and amounted to a total investment of $3.1 million, which we're really proud of. Next slide. As for some of the um, cumulative business impacts, as you can see, it's been incredible in terms of how many businesses they were able to survey, understand how they're currently faring in these current economic conditions, and then really reach out and provide one-on-one -on -one business assistance and the resources they need. And so with that, a major component was also dispersing the much needed capital to small businesses during this time in the form of business grants, funding, or loans. On the next slide, you'll see that these small business um, programs or initiatives that they provided stemmed from a variety of different types. And so it may have looked like forming relationships with their small business development centers in their community, providing tools for technical assistance, and as mentioned, providing the much needed capital. And then some of the fun, unique projects also included, you know, food incubation, supporting food trucks um, in Kent and Des Moines. On the next slide, you'll also see that the tourism impacts as part of this program were astronomical. Uh, you know, more than 150,000 attendees to events. It secured more than 6,700 hotel room nights and 4,000 trips made. And so we're really proud of these um, amazing efforts made and done by our cities and part of this partnership. And on the next slide, you'll see that um, some of the on the next slide. Yeah, that takes a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the um, tourism and marketing campaigns, examples come from, you know, two days in Woodenville to trail maps really highlighting the, the local assets that we have in the area. And then also um, some of the major highlights were Enumclaw, where uh, they were able to increase their ticket sales by $200,000 as part of these marketing and uh, tourism campaigns. And then later, 
you'll hear more from Nate from the city of Shoreline, who we have here today to present some information about the unique uh, music and arts and Juneteenth events that they hosted with this funding. Next slide. So by local and placemaking initiatives were also extremely important during this time. And it was a backbone to supporting a lot of the downtowns and main streets across the region. As you can see here, it also drew more than 100,000 attendees to events. The cities hosted a number of events and really supported their local merchants during this time. And um, it was critical to activating downtowns. Next slide. So what did some of these activities look like? It ranged from supporting the farmers markets to various buy local campaigns in Burien or Issaquah. And then later, Corbin um, Hart from the city of Bellevue will talk a little bit about the placemaking projects they did around the Bell Red Arts District. And I will actually ask Corbin to join us up here. Thank you, Annie. And thank you, commissioners, for the chance to speak today on this program. Uh, the Ports uh, Economic Development Partnership Program is a truly unique asset for the region, having worked in economic development in other regions. Uh, the, the regional collaboration this program enables uh, is uh, really unique to this area, as is the dedicated funding for business support, which is often lacking in the region. We use funding in the 22-23 timeframe on three projects, all of which specifically highlighted the port as a funding partner. This included a bi-local campaign to drive up uh, foot traffic in our downtown to support small businesses in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. As a result of this program and others, uh, foot traffic in our old main district increased over 200%, uh, surpassing pre-pandemic highs. Startup 425, it's mentioned earlier by some other speakers, uh, is a five-city regional collaboration focused on entrepreneurship education for underrepresented founders for small businesses and startups. Um, this, the port grant broadly allows cities to pilot programs and projects they wouldn't have had funding otherwise to do. And this is a prime example. Since the relaunch of the program in mid-2023, the program has served over 250 entrepreneurs and added 693 subscribers. Without this grant, the program would likely not exist, uh, as would the collaboration between the five cities on the east side. Finally, we hope to launch a 16-week accelerator program in Q3 of this year with a specific focus on diverse founders through CERT 425. And last but not least, as Annie mentioned, we also use port funding to launch the Bell Red Arts District Community Alliance, a nonprofit focused on supporting creatives and businesses within our arts district. Uh, they're going into a really strong community partner and have actually received a grant from Sound Transit to run an opening celebration for the two line uh, here in a couple months. So we're really excited for that organization to be up and running and doing the work that would not have been possible without the Port's Economic Development Partnership. Thank you. Thank you so much, Corbin. And next up, on the next slide, we'll have Tawny join us from Maple Valley. Good afternoon, Port Commissioners, um, and Happy Lunar New Year. My name is Tawny Delzell. I am the Public Works and Community Development Director with the City of Maple Valley. Uh, I want to just thank you for this opportunity to share the work that we've been doing to promote economic development in our city. Uh, Maple Valley is located uh, in South King County. It's bordered by three state highways, uh, SR 
169, 516, and Highway 18. Um, we are a small city uh, known for high quality schools um, and, and beautiful natural resources such as uh, Lake Wilderness. Uh, and in fact, we're proud to say that uh, we have hosted over 80 weddings uh, in the, uh, in, at the uh, park in 2023. Uh, as a bedroom community, we value small businesses. Uh, and it allows us to shop, eat, and do business within our community. Uh, however, we uh, have a very limited economic development staff. Um, we do not have a dedicated economic development manager. Uh, I wear many hats, uh, and one of those is uh, to contribute toward economic development. But what I really rely on is our uh, community's economic development commission made up of 11 volunteer residents um, who are so hardworking um, and uh, they've been able to use the monies awarded through the Economic Development Partnership Grant uh, to do three major items um, in 2022 and 2023. And they include uh, conducting a business survey uh, a business leakage study and then using that information to inform our business marketing video. Um, our video can be located at gomaplevalley.com and uh, we have many resources on that website available to small businesses and developers uh, and we also um, uh, use that to uh, recognize our uh, community partners such as Port of Seattle um, to support our, our work. Um, so we, we actually intend to build on uh, the, the data that we've collected and uh, the marketing video uh, in the next year to host a business summit uh, for local businesses uh, and investors uh, to uh, further develop our economic development program in Maple Valley. Um, and uh, lastly, we just wanted to um, Thank uh, David and Annie and the, the port uh, for your continued support for uh, small cities. Thank you so much, Tani. And it will have Nate from Shoreline come up. Thank you, Annie. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's great to be here uh, to talk about this program and just how, how instrumental it's been in our economic development efforts in the city of Shoreline. Um, I'm gonna talk about two uh, things that, and just how this has been really important to us. One is uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and number two, creative economy. Growing up here in this in the Port District, um, I I have seen firsthand firsthand just how uh, how important those two things are. Being a welcoming place for all, uh, and the strength of our creative economy. Those two things have really enabled, I think, our regional economy to outperform peer cities around the country, and. You know, the city of Seattle, uh, city of Shoreline is a part of that. It, it's home to what many would be surprised to find is a diverse, vibrant, and growing creative community, with recording studios where decades of platinum uh, recordings were made, uh, and women uh, and Black, Indigenous, and people of the global majority, artisans and artists in all mediums, including filmmaking, ceramics, glass, and more, uh, are thriving. And so what you see here is some of the highlights of some of the projects we were able to do in the last couple of years. Um, but we've been really an active participant in this program since it began in 2018. And we really appreciate, as some others have said, 
Dave and Annie, the expertise, the knowledge, the, the hardworking uh, folks you have here, being available to not just your organization, but all of us around the region. It's a, it's a team sport, uh, and many of us are an office of one. And so just by getting together and getting to see the great work that our peers are doing and get ideas of what we can do and, and how we can help our community, uh, especially through the depths of the pandemic and the economic crisis that that caused for our small businesses, has been, it's been great to be a part of a team. Um, and so uh, we and we are very grateful to port. We make sure to say so in our verbal remarks at these events and in, and including the, the, the logo uh, of the port uh, in our materials. Um, and it's just really enabled us to uh, act on a sweeping resolution adopted by our council a few years ago, um, a commitment to become an anti-racist community. And because so just being like being a great haven for creatives, the Seattle area's strength has always been about being a welcoming place. And, and we've seen this. So our first ever Juneteenth uh, black owned business marketplace and music and food event. Um, it, it, you know, it introduced uh, black owned businesses to hundreds of guests. It introduced those folks to the performances and food and culture. Um, and it was just a, a, a turnout beyond our wildest dreams. And it was a rainy event uh, and that didn't stop people from coming. Annie was there. Thank you for showing your support. And our and our mayor and council are just so grateful to the support to make this happen and are very excited to do it again this year. In fact, just yesterday, we had our kickoff meeting with Black Coffee Northwest, who's our organizing partner for that event. Um, and then our Pride Festival is another great example of that. Having that at our Shoreline Farmers Market, uh, again, also a rainy day, unfortunately, but it introduced the community to Seattle's first ever, first all queer marching band uh, and brought market vendors a 17% bigger crowd than any other rainy day that they had at, uh, at the farmer's market this year. So just again, an example of how really being a welcoming place for all is just, it's good for business. And 96% of those surveyed, uh, of those attendees uh, surveyed said it exceeded their expectations. So again, just on behalf of the city of Shoreline, I wanna thank the commission for enabling this program, encourage you to consider continuing to do so and lending us your fantastic staff and, and support to help us grow our creative economy and launch new initiatives that reflect our community commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nate. And next we'll have Jesse Katarski from the city of Renton. Thank you for this opportunity to express gratitude on behalf of the city of Renton for the tremendous support we've received from the Port of Seattle through the partnership program. This support has been instrumental in driving initiatives and creating tangible lasting changes in Renton that continue to foster growth within our community year after year. The recent support from the program has made a big difference in nurturing our small business community and boosting the growth of our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Similar to the focus that Nate just mentioned in Shoreline, it has had a significant impact on developing our creative economy. The support from the port has been crucial in filling the gap that previously existed in funding and attention for our creative economy at the city level. In the most recent program cycle, the funding allowed us to host a dynamic film competition which served as a catalyst for creativity and community connections. As a result, we've seen a significant impact increase in film production in Renton, with small business owners receiving the necessary assistance and support to navigate the filmmaking process and access the resources they need. The competition, which was open to all and free to participate in, served as an invaluable platform for small business owners and artists to gain recognition and support their craft. It significantly contributed to eliminating barriers to entry within the industry and played a pivotal role in establishing Renton as a film-friendly city. 
Building on the success of the film competition, the program played a crucial role in creating Renton's first arts and culture hub. The space serves as an incubator for artists and arts organizations, providing networking opportunities, skill training, mentoring support, access to affordable and free gallery and workspace, and a communal area for the exchange of ideas. The impact of these initiatives has been profound, fostering not only economic development, but also a thriving entrepreneurial spirit in Renton. Last year's Main Street Workshop and Pitch Competition was a resounding success, showcasing the ingenuity and drive of our small business owners with over 67 participants, 19 pitching their business ideas to a live audience, and four winners selected that evening by a panel of judges and audience participation. We're thrilled to collaborate again this year with our partners at the Renton Downtown Partnership to host another pitch competition. It stands as a testament to how the funds from the port serve as a catalyst, sparking ongoing change, nurturing connections, and propelling growth across the region. We are grateful not only for the financial backing, but also for the physical support and encouragement from the port. Dave and Annie have consistently facilitated connections across the region, and we want to thank Commissioner Mohammed for her participation in the live pitch program last year, which was a huge lift. The port's support, coupled with the association with its logo, has added credibility to our programs. The association often sparks discussions about the port's involvement in the events and the programs, attracting crowds and participants interested in regional initiatives. These connections exemplify a true partnership with the port, and we are immensely grateful for the support. Thank you so much, Jesse, and thank you so much to our city presenters. We really appreciate your time and um, being able to help story tell the true partnerships and the solid partnerships that we've been able to develop with them through this grant program. So on to the next, and this slide, uh, in terms of, you know, understanding the return of, on investment um, with this economic development partnership grant, as you've seen, building great relationships, and I know metrics are extremely important and um, they have been improving in uh, furthering positive relationships and also producing tangible small business development, tourism and place-making outcomes as, you, as you've seen through the storytelling of our city partners. Um, we have also heard, you know, they've provided, the grants provided key resources to cities during tough times, especially during the pandemic. And um, I know most importantly, it's brought us all together. And so we're just really proud of the great work that we've been able to do collectively and moving the needle on regional economic development um, over the years. So on the next slide, you'll see, um, you know, while the metrics have improved, we really do want to um, continue tracking these and making sure we have a standardized, you know, format for being able to track these well. Uh, and uh, we also know that smaller cities still need the support, um, as you've heard from many varsity partners today. It's often either a, a staff of one or um, no, you know, economic development staff established, but community development folks or public works folks are stepping in to really move um, the needle. And so as part of this, we want to better resource them by developing a shared resource site where we can share the archived seven years of reports that have been submitted to us through this grant and be able to have them have a space to be able to glean the um, resources, list of consultants, and other helpful tools that um, we've been able to uh, develop through this grant program. And so I do want to acknowledge that um, this idea came from conversations with me and Nate, and um, you know, it was, it was his grand idea to be able to create a shared resource where everyone can really learn from each other and continue that partnership. On the next slide, you'll see 
um, some ideas that we have for moving the program forward in terms of equity considerations. We really want to consider a stronger equitable economic development lens and being able to uh, have a stronger emphasis on measuring these outcomes versus some of the processes. We've seen a lot of economic development plans submitted in the past years, but we really want to have tighter parameters around these planning projects and focus on measured outcomes. And most importantly, um, as part of that, collecting standardized metrics to make it easier to aggregate this data to be able to show um, the great work, especially for collecting um, you know, impacts on Wimby and minority-owned businesses and BIPOC businesses across our region in terms of us making sure we're um, meeting our targets. And uh, as part of this, we want to make sure that we're um, enhancing the connection between the cities and their businesses to port opportunities that may be available through our diversity and contracting programs that we have. And so being able to build a bridge across that um, but all in all, we do want to emphasize that these events and initiatives are welcoming and inclusive for all. Next slide, please. So as a recap, uh, today we are here to request reauthorization of one year to provide um, funding for this program. And um, we also recognize that, you know, a lot of the smaller cities are doing a lot with less. And so we are also um, recommending that we increase the funding from five to ten thousand dollars for some of the smaller cities and we want to thank you commissioners so much for your support over the years and um, we welcome any questions that you might have at this time thank you thank you director mcfadden and annie for the presentation and thank you to all of our guest speakers um commissioners we're going to try to separate our meeting procedures moving forward in 2024 making it a a clear distinction between staff report segment of our discussion and commission questions for staff, um, vice versa, commission discussion and dialogue with each other. The latter shouldn't take place until our main motion is on the floor. So let's see if we can actually put this into practice today. Um, so are there any questions for staff at this time? Naya. Yes, your questions, Commissioner Feldman. I'd just like to uh, commend all those examples and a quick shout out to Maple Valley for your perfect fit or neat natural fit. I'm a pushover for that uh, marketing um, marketing business. But you you repeatedly talked about the metrics, wanting to get a little bit more quantitative in your evaluation, and I, I really don't see the quantification. It seems to me that you could have like a, a prompted questionnaire sort of thing it's like that sort of like a job interview like everybody gets asked the same question and you report out at the end of the day at the end of the grant that you could you know score somewhat objectively so is you express desire to have a better metric I'm just wondering is there some sort of scorecard or something that you use to evaluate success great question I I, I think we're looking as Annie mentioned, more outcome reporting, maybe less process. You know, we surveyed 1,200 businesses. That's great, but how many did we help? How many got the assistance, you know, and what did that look like? Did some, we were capturing some of the funding, as you can see, but it takes a little longer term and a little more patience 
to capture job creation or other things that result from that assistance. That's what we're really trying to dial in. By standardizing the metrics that we provide in the application, we're gonna at least get everybody onto the same reporting page. And I think that's a major refinement going forward. And by separating it, the, the staff questions and the commission discussions or debate, it's actually in alignment with parliamentary rules. So thank you, Clerk Hart, for that advice. Um, are there any additional questions for staff at this time? Great. Hearing no further questions or uh, comments for staff, I will now ask, is there a motion and a second to approve item 10A? So moved. Second. Great, the motion has been made and moved. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, four ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you, Clerk Hart. Please read the next item into the record and then Executive Director Metric will introduce the item. Thank you. Just a reminder that agenda item 10B has been moved to our next meeting, so I'll read 10C into the record. This is authorization to execute an interlocal agreement with the Puget Sound Partnership, enabling the port to receive state funding to support the purchase of equipment to monitor juvenile salmonoid utilization of Duwamish River People's Park and shoreline habitat in the amount of $115,000. Commissioners, this item, <clears throat> this item is being brought before you because it is an interlocal agreement. We're pleased to report that our efforts to restore habitat in the Duwamish River watershed have shown signs of success evident by the return of juvenile salmon to the waterway and spotted at our sites. This action will help our efforts through tracking and monitoring of juvenile Chinook salmon of our, <clears throat> of, of our shoreline habitat. And presenters this afternoon are Cheryl Jay, Director of Mar Maritime Environment and Sustainability, Jen Stebbings, uh, the Environmental Programs Manager, and I see Kathleen Hurley is mentioned as well, um, environment, Senior Environmental Program Manager. So I'm gonna turn it over to Sarah to kick us off. Thank you, Executive Metric, okay. and hello, uh, Commissioners. It's a pleasure to be here today to talk to you about this uh, exciting opportunity that the port has. Um, and it's also uh, so timely and uh, resonating for me that we're here today uh, during the week that we're recognizing the bolt decision um, and the, the right to fish, uh, to collect fish and to have the activity. And um, it, this is relative uh, to the work we're gonna talk about today because it relates to salmon recovery. Uh, the port has a uh, long and increasing uh, series of activities and interests in salmon recovery, a lot of work in the Duwamish, uh, we're really excited about Duwamish River People's Park, and you'll hear Jen will tell you a bit about how the equipment we receive from this, if we get this grant, uh, or excuse me, this exchange with the partnership will help uh, monitor at that park. Um, so let's see, I wanted to just also uh, note that we're pretty, very appreciative to the partnership for being selected as a recipient, and Jen will tell you more about that. Um, and we're excited to contribute kind of at a watershed scale with to information uh, collecting in partnership with others, the tribes and King County and other managers uh, that this program will help implement. Uh, so without further ado, I'm gonna pass it over to Jen Stubbings who will tell you about uh, the grant and the project. Great, good afternoon commissioners. Um, 
Um, as Sarah mentioned, this uh, presentation is to uh, execute an interlocal agreement with the Puget Sound Partnership to uh, purchase a um, passive integrated transponder um, array um, to help with fish monitoring at the Duwamish River People's Park and Shoreline Habitat. Um, this is just a, a quick refresher on where the Duwamish sits in the, in the larger watershed and why it matters. Uh, the Duwamish sits at the very bottom of the green Duwamish watershed and uh, the watershed itself, uh, the Salmon Recovery Lead Entity, um, has identified priority projects for Chinook salmon in this watershed through its salmon recovery strategy. So the strategy includes protecting, restoring, and enhancing habitat in the Duwamish Estuary subwatershed, where the port sits. Um, as you can see, the port has several habitat restoration projects in the Duwamish Estuary, um, and the star on the map there is uh, the Duwamish River People's Park and Shoreline Habitat. Oh, The Duwamish River People's Park um, and Shoreline Habitat has been identified as a tier one or a top priority project for the watershed by the Green Duwamish Salmon Recovery Lead Entity. Um, the year one monitoring of a 10-year performance standard monitoring program was completed in 2023. Um, and the exciting news is that juvenile Chinook salmon were identified utilizing the marsh basin at Duwamish River People's Park during that fish sampling effort. So now that we know that juvenile Chinook are using the site, but, but we wanna know how the Chinook are, are using the site. Um, so the passive integrated transponder or pit antennas will help inform how out-migrating juvenile salmon are using the Duwamish River People's Park and shoreline habitat. And the photo on the bottom there is um, an example of what our pit array could look like um, once it's installed at the mouth of the, of the marsh basin. Next So um, we request uh, to authorize the executive director to execute an interlocal agreement with the Puget Sound Partnership for funding of $115,000 to purchase this pit array. As I mentioned before, the array will monitor how juven juvenile salmon are using the Duwamish River People's Park and Shoreline Habitat. These monitoring data will be provided to agency and tribal partners and contribute to the overall salmon recovery planning in the Green Duwamish River watershed. Uh, with this Puget Sound Partnership funding, there is no cost to the port for the purchase of the pit array. So that's, that's a good news part. <laughs> Next slide, please. <laughs> So this is just a quick overview. Um, we are on a rather uh, short timeline because we are hoping to be able to have this um, array installed in time for this year's juvenile Chinook out migration. And this is particularly important because um, King County is um, performing a complementary project further upstream where they will be tagging thousands of other uh, salmon. So any salmon that are tagged upstream could potentially be um, captured by this pit array in, in the Duwamish River People's Park and shoreline habitat, which is pretty exciting. So 
The scope and schedule of this is, you know, with your approval, uh, we will execute this ILA with Puget Sound Partnership um, and then select a vendor and purchase the equipment, get that equipment installed um, as soon as possible, and then um, implement the fish monitoring um, as scheduled for our regularly programmed performance standard monitoring um, at the site. So. Um, with that. Jen, if I could just add, yes. um, we're really excited and hope to implement this this year, take advantage of some opportunities of those additionally, tag, uh, more than usual tagged fish, as Jen mentioned, but this equipment will be an enduring asset that we can continue to use and support the region and tracking salmon recovery in the watershed. Yeah, thank you. That's important and distinction. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, are there any questions for staff at this time before I ask for a motion? Commissioner Fellman? Uh, thank you very much. And uh, this complements my state of the port address very nicely, the video. And one, one of the things that was really great about the bit in the video was that we had wild Chinook smolt in the, in the catch. But my understanding about pit tagging is it usually returns to a hatchery. So are we, are we pit tagging wild fish? Yes, we will be pit tagging natural origin fish. Yes. So King County is also catching, the, catching the wild fish, pit yeah. tagging them, and then letting them go downstream. Correct. They have a smolt trap um, placed upstream in which they will take the natural origin Chinook and, um, and tag them. Thank you. Yeah. Are there any additional questions? Thank you for the presentation again. Now I will ask for a motion and a second to approve this item. So moved. Second. The motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, four ayes, zero nays for this item. The motion passes. Thank you to the presenters again. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record and then Executive Director Metric will introduce the item 10E. Thank you, we did not have 10D assigned on our agenda so we'll move to 10E and that is authorization for the Executive Director to approve additional funding in the amount of $22 million for construction of the Terminal 91 berth six and eight redevelopment and to award and execute a contract with the lowest responsible bidder for a total estimated project cost of $98 million. Commissioners, Terminal 91 is one of the most productive and diversified of our maritime facilities. Last August, you approved construction funding for BURST 6 and 8, uh, a 6 and 8 redevelopment project, which redevelops the condemned vessel berths and adjoining apron areas while making investments in environmental sustainability. Like many complex and large construction projects in the region, the actual construction bids came in higher than the engineer's estimate. Today's action will allow the port to accept the lowest responsible bid and proceed with construction on this important project. Presenters this afternoon are Stephanie Jones Stebbins, Managing Director, Maritime Division, Kelly Goodwin, Senior Manager, Maritime Operations, and Mark Longridge, Capital Project Manager. Um, so I'll turn it over to Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, before I turn it over to our project uh, manager and our senior manager of the facility, I wanted to make a couple remarks because I wanted you to know how seriously we take the additional request for $22 million. It does increase the, 
project total budget to just shy of a million dollars. And when these bids came in, I had a couple asks of the team before we could come back to you and ask for that additional funding. Wanted to understand what does this do for the overall financials, both of the facility, but also of the Maritime Division. I wanted to understand whether there were any options that we could, for instance, cut part of the project out and uh, be closer to our original budget. And then wanted to know how did this happen and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again. So I'm going to uh, speak to these. Uh, next slide, please. I'm going to start off with the with the financial piece and look at. Um, see, do I oh, do I control that? No. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, I've done this enough times. I should remember. Uh, so today we're here to ask you for an additional $22 million for verse 6 and 8, which will bring the total to $98 million. Uh, next slide, please. That's a significant sum, and as I said, I wanted to look, uh, really have the team look at what does this do to the overall project financials, uh, uh, division financials, as well as the um, facility itself. So. Terminal 91 is actually one of our most profitable facilities. There's a whole bunch of different businesses there. Total revenues for before this project, total revenues are over $42 million. Majority of that is the cruise business, but there's, uh, but there's uh, fishing, maritime uh, industrial, the uplands that are managed by our real estate team. The expenses are about $28 million. So overall, we the, the even after we pay for all of our uh, the capital, our capital investments through depreciation, this property has a net positive uh, net operating income after depreciation of about seven and a half million dollars. If we do this project, the revenues go up, but depreciation also goes up uh, even more than that. But even after this project, as well as the 91 uplands, it, we would still be profitable as a facility of about six and a half million dollars. That's significant because this project, it's uh, the whole facility operates together. So although we see fishing vessels as one use, also ships of state, research vessels, we specifically use it when cruise vessels are in, the whole facility operates as one. So really wanted to understand what this meant to the facility as a whole. This, uh, as you, when I then look at the division finances, as you know, the maritime division as a whole, uh, our net operating income does not pay for the infrastructure, the depreciation on the infrastructure we rely on. We've had a goal for some time of getting that to, to a break-even point. Um, our decision not to build a, an additional cruise terminal set us, and the pandemic set us back a couple years. This would likely set us back about two more years and we're, we would be looking to get to that break-even point at 2030. So. I do feel as a public port, it's our responsibility to keep our facilities um, in a way that the maritime industry that creates family wage jobs in our community can rely upon. We can't have facilities that are falling in the water, that are load restricted, that are not suitable for vessels to tie up for. So, um, and we can see that even with this, this is a very profitable facility. Um, I, I also want to speak for a second to um, but why, so we did, Mark will speak a little bit more to this. We did look at, is it possible to take part of the project away? And it really does not make sense to do that. We would have to rebid the project. You can't take away parts of the project without really sacrificing the utility. 
We could take away environmental parts of it, but that's not really consistent with, with where we're going as a, as a port, as a facility. So um, I do recommend going forward with the project as it stands. So finally, to the question of, of the, our estimates and the bids and the difference between them. Mark will speak more to this, uh, but uh, you know we, are, uh, we know that the way we look at risk the way we look at escalation are both some things that we need to uh, up, we need to update. They're significant. We're not. The, this is happening when we talk to our uh, expert review panel. This is happening around the region. We are we are not alone. Um, we in, the initial uh, feedback from our um, ERP external review panel is that we look at risk. We look at escalation. We look at uh, the way we bid projects thinking about alternative d delivery methods are a way to uh, ameliorate some of the risk we have from escalation. We are intending to bring in a third party to look more specifically at the way we're doing this, the way we do our cost estimating, uh, and anything else that can really help us be closer to uh, our, get the actual cost more accurately predicted. Uh, so I want you to know that we are undertaking that as an independent effort because we do take this very seriously. With that, I do recommend approval, but I'm going to turn this over to Kelly Goodwin and Mark Longridge to tell you a little bit more about the project. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, and good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director Metric. <clears throat> Excuse my voice, please. Um, I will share some of the reasons we are recommending you move forward, move this project forward with the additional funding request. And then Mark will share more detail regarding our bid results and why we are requesting this additional funding. Um, as a reminder, um, this project is located at Terminal 91 in the north end of Elliott Bay. This work represents the ninth and final berth redevelopment of Terminal 91, removing and replacing the last two load-restricted load creosote-soaked timber berths with modern, strong, pre-stressed concrete to meet the vessel demand and needs of today and into the future. The port redeveloped and modernized the rest of the berths at Terminal 91 in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Next slide, please. As I mentioned before you last August, we are out of space to meet demand when the fleet is alongside. A recent example is a NOAA ship, Oscar Dyson. She wanted to come alongside early January this year when we had absolutely no available space and no other locations were suitable to meet her needs. Fortunately, she was able and willing to adjust her dates and come in as the fleet was departing. We were not as fortunate when the Reuben Lasker NOAA ship called in May last year and she made other arrangements outside the port. Next slide, please. This work is not only critical to the port's commitment to good asset management, but also supports the port's effort to be the greenest and most energy efficient port in North America. Over 2,200 creosote pilings will be removed from the water column. Overwater coverage will decrease. Stormwater improvements are included. And as is renewable energy through solar panel arrays and improved shore power delivery. This facility and these bursts don't only support fishing, they support our merit commercial maritime industry, an industry as shown in the recent economic impact study from the Washington Maritime Federation 
has total employment in our state equaling 174,300 jobs as of 2022, many of which are concentrated in this region. That same study found that Washington Maritime Work provides an average wage of 112,000 per year, including benefits. So these are family wage jobs. This project also assures the port continues into the future with a diverse and healthy portfolio of assets. Many of the vessels that will utilize these berths continued to work throughout the COVID pandemic while other maritime operations shut down. Restoring existing load limited and partially condemned moorage facilities to their full capacity is the first step to meeting these capacity needs. Redevelopment of berths six and eight is critical to ensuring the long-term viability of the port as the home to the North Pacific fishing fleet and supporting commercial maritime in this region. I would now like to hand this over to Capital Project Manager Mark Longridge to review our recent construction bid summary with you. Mark. Uh, thanks, Kelly, Commissioners. I'm Mark Longridge. I'm one of the Capital Project Managers here in our Waterfront Project Management Group. I'd like to take you through our bid process and results, uh, talk a little bit about the factors we considered in coming up with our recommendation to you today and what next steps for the project will be if you approve. Next slide, please. Oh, So late last year, we concluded a two and a half year effort uh, for design and permitting of this work and advertised the major work contract in early November. We had good engagement from the contracting community with over 70 plan holders, including many prime and subcontractors. At the request of bidders and due to the complexity of the work, we extended the bid period about three weeks from the original bid date and opened bids on December 20th. We received three bids from qualified bidders and the low bid was $72,636,235 from Pacific Pile and Marine Group. This bid was significantly higher than we had expected in our engineer's estimate and that is the reason we're returning to you for additional funding today. Of note in the bids is that the second low bidder was less than $60,000 or within eight one hundredths of 1% from the low bid an exceptionally close range for a project of this or of any size. In reviewing and working to understand the bids more clearly, we also investigated if there were any fatal flaws in our bid package or issues that might be artificially inflating the costs. We did not find any and believe that the amount bid is accurate for an accurate price for this work in today's market. Next slide. So what happened and how do we know that this is the real price for the work? Several factors make this work more complicated and add to the costs. We have a tight construction schedule and a tight work site on an active facility. This schedule constraint is particularly acute for the in-water work where permit constraints for the allowable construction window for both sediment and impact pile driving work has been reduced two full months from what we've seen in the region historically. Instead of being able to perform that work from August to February of each season, this has been shortened to lessen impacts to September to January. But the primary driver for the increase that we found is the historic escalation that we've been experiencing, not only in the construction industry in general in the region, but particularly in marine and landside civil work and electrical work. Unfortunately, costs in these sectors have been outstripping the construction market as a whole, and our project has large components of all of them. Anticipating continued volatility in the market as we did our design, we did hire an outside firm to do a risk analysis for this project, and we completed uh, 
full risk analyses at both the 60% and 90% design phases, working not only with our designers and estimators about their estimate assumptions, but also pulling in our permitting group, construction management, contracting, and operations to look at where the risks were and how to account for them. Escalation played a large uh, role in this conversation and the results of that analysis were the basis for our previous construction authorization in August U of $76 million. While we put in what we felt was a conservative estimate of contingency and escalation, obviously it proved to not be enough in the current market. Informing our recommendation to you today, we looked at several options, including deferring the work or rejecting these bids to reduce scope or pursue grant funding perhaps. In past years, Merit grant funding has been reserved for cargo and container yard projects exclusively and not fish cargo projects such as ours. This year, it is expected that that will change, which would make our project eligible to apply for this federal grant funding. However, this application process would take approximately nine to 12 months to complete and add significant additional requirements to our work, which would in turn add to the uh, current costs. If we were successful in our application for grant funding, it's likely that the grant funds awarded would not fully cover not only these additional requirements, but also the further escalation of waiting to re-advertise and award the contract for another year. And with the dependency on in-water work uh, window, it would more likely add two years to the project's completion. And this is one of the reasons we are not recommending this course. Next slide. So what's next? With your approval today, we can award the major works contract within the allowable 90-day window from the bid opening and start on contract submittals and early procurements with our contracting partner. We would see site work starting in early June and the in-water work later in the summer. The current construction schedule that you see here uses a second in-water window to place the final fender pile components and we expect to complete the work before the end of 2025. Next slide. Of course, no construction project is without risks, as you know. And while these are reduced and we've dialed down some of the probabilities here, now that we have bids in hand and we're a little further down our cone of uncertainty, we still keep a close eye on remaining risks. As such, we're carrying a 10% contingency on the contract work, which is included in our request to you today. Next slide. So as Stephanie mentioned, uh, our request to you today is for an additional construction funding on the amount of $22 million for a project total of $98 million. With your approval, we look forward to awarding the Major Works contract, finalizing our permits, starting the work this summer, and completing this last piece of the terminal redevelopment work that started decades ago to fully support the North Pacific Fishing Fleet and our other customers at Terminal 91. Next slide. And with that, we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Are there any questions for staff at this time, Commissioner Cho? Yeah, thank you for the presentation. Um, one question that I would like to ask, and this is really not uh, an isolated incident that we tend to get these estimates that are really off. So I want to uh, learn specifically for this project, what did we not take account for in terms of what our estimated projected costs were uh, that we had such a delta between what we expected? It's a 40% delta between what the lowest bid amount is and the construction estimate. Yeah, absolutely. Um so one of the first things we did when we opened bids was to go and see if there were any particular areas that carried uh, larger differences that we could uh, try and understand where that was coming from. We saw increases across the board, um, mainly in labor holding items. So our material estimates were actually fairly close. 
The basis for our estimate, uh, our designer was the same designer record for Husky Terminals in Tacoma, a recent project there, similar, slightly larger size. Um, and they had taken those costs and escalated and been watching other bids. Um, but like I said, I think the biggest issue we've seen is that certain sectors of construction really have had white hot escalation and we were a victim of that in our timing and, and getting this out to bid. Um, so it exceeded our expectations. We had our designer uh, is the, the engineer of record for any engineer's estimate. Our estimating team looked at it and put it through this independent risk analysis, but uh, the market uh, spoke otherwise. Thanks for that. And then my Could second question is, um, you know, it sounds like we're going to go with the lowest bidder, um, but the the delta between the, the two lowest is not that high, less than 1%. And so um, I hope we're not just going with the lowest bidder because they're the lowest bidder, but that we looked at the two to compare whether or not uh, there's a good enough justification. Uh, in my mind, the two are pretty much on par. And so I'm curious, why did we go with the lowest bidder? Uh, is there a reason beyond just the fact that they're the lowest bidder? bidder? So I defer to our contracting specialists here, but uh, Washington State law, the RCWs do require that we only award to the lowest responsible bidder. Have we? In, in public works bid. Have we, have we considered going back to the, are we allowed to go back and renegotiate bids? Uh, no. Okay. It, it, let me, uh, com Commissioner, just to follow up. So first, agree with that. We are required to take the lowest bidder. That is, a, that is, a, that is a, what the requirement of us. We do not have an option. I, I will say that uh, the, the, the contractor is one that we have worked with and, and have confidence in. So uh, in fact, they're doing two other projects for us right now. Uh, so. So um, there, there's that. I do want to respond to your first question about the bids being off. That's exactly the question we're asking as well. Uh, and so we are, again, bringing in a third party to look more closely beyond what we've looked at and made assessments. Is there anything else that we are missing? One of the comments that was made to us by our um, by the external experts that we've talked to thus far, none, none under none under like serious evaluation of this, but kind of initial reactions is that we may need to be looking at alternative delivery methods. The the, the um, design bid build methods exposes you to to uh, this to the escalation. They're trying to take into account you know the, their risk of in water work as we as as they do their bids. So we are, again, trying to look very broadly at, at the issue, but appreciate your concerns, same ones we had. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Commissioner Calkins. Uh, thanks for the presentation. Um, it, I have a couple of different tracks of questions. I want to start with um, a, a question around our own in-house capacity. I know that we have had lots of uh, employee time dedicated to um, supporting the development of T5. And as that project winds down, uh, there's always lots going on. I, but I, I am curious to know, from a staffing standpoint, both for you and also potentially for Director Kilroy, who I see is here, uh, do we feel like we have sufficient capacity in the relevant technical areas to be able to pull off big projects like this? Your mic. Very close to, so a lot of the resources we use are, are port-wide resources. So for, inst they're, for instance, our engineering and our environmental team. So I think we remember we're delivering much bigger projects at the airport. T5 
is the biggest project that has ever been delivered on the maritime side. And I, I will say that was really from years of relatively small project delivery to T5 really has, has absolutely stretched our capacity. We have staffed up uh, pretty significantly. Our project delivery team, Tin has a, Tin Nguyen is our uh, director of waterfront project management. We've increased our staff on the waterfront project management side. Can you repeat that? We were at 35, uh, 19 uh, F employees in our project delivery group prior to COVID, and we are now at 35. So pretty significant increase as we take this on. I think that, that what I'd like to point out from this, we've, numerous external parties looked at these estimates as well. It was not just the Port of Seattle team that uh, thought it was going to be a lot less. It was the, all the external parties, the risk analysis folks that we hired, which were external consultants as well. So that's why we really want to look broadly and deeply. And I think your question, uh, Commissioner, we uh, uh, is, is a great one. And as we look at our 25 budget, or even if we feel we need them before, we should be asking you for those resources so that we can can deliver. Yeah, um, you know, there are, each time one of these comes up uh, where there is a significant difference between engineer's estimate and the bids that we get, it's always a question of, you know, our, um, whether, will it in fact cost this amount and our mm -hmm. engineer's estimate was wrong or um, are, are we getting uh, sold a, a really high price for something that could be brought in cheaper if we, you know, did more of the work ourselves, et cetera. And, and I, I like the point that you made, which is how do we look at these projects? Uh, how do we look to de-risk these projects as much as possible so that the bids don't have to price in uncertainty. What kinds of site surveys, um, pre-work can be done before they go out for, for bid that is something that we could sort of deliver to the potential bidders um, early enough that we wouldn't have to factor in additional insurance or additional surveys or lots of contingencies for unknown. So uh, I appreciate that you're thinking about those questions. Um, and uh, just a comment to say, um, you know, not that I would um, spare no expense for this particular project, but I do want to say these are peers that are in heavy demand for us. I, I wish we had the same kind of uh, demand at every waterfront location. And so somebody who's working with Commissioner Felm this year on the um, Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee, which would be looking at waterfront development. Um, you know, I want to make sure that we're leaning into this very positive spot on our waterfront that is generating a ton of revenue for us and is in demand from a variety of sectors, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we should make these investments. Um, and um, and although it's unfortunate the, the costs are going up, I am supportive of the authorization. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Fellman? Well, I'm glad T5 is winding down so we can get busy again but uh, obviously this is also adjacent to all the other work that's going over at T91 uh, in addition to the uplands we have uh, water lines being replaced and a bunch of other major infrastructure going on so I would assume their adjacency might have some additional funding scheduling and things like that but uh, capacity building on what uh, Commissioner Hawkins was talking about um, obviously they they're, they're both High priority projects, and we're supportive of of getting them done. It's a uh, one of the things I just thought um, 
from previous conversations, you know, it's the fact that you have in the slide that the, the fish processors are getting to be bigger vessels, but also that the um, cruise season is also expanding from basically April 23rd to October 23rd. So we have like a six months of huge ships. So we used to be able to hot bunk it, so to speak, at the, at the 91. And so now we sort of need this additional space. And so when looking at the economics of it, you point out that cruise is sort of in our maritime budget, but you don't really, I don't think you're directly attributing uh, that to the financials for this particular project. It's, um, and we're talking about what, $30 million for a cruise operation um, and then the revenues of 13 million, um, what does it say, pre-construction costs. So, the, so obviously the operations, there's a lot of money going in and out of cruise and if this indeed then, that's on whatever page three of the, of the PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, you know, I'm always asking you what is the net of Cruz's uh, economic benefit to the area? And this seems to me like some accounting could be attributed to Cruz on this. Um, I, I believe also the water lines as well are infrastructure that we're mm -hmm. doing for Cruz. And that the one thing we saw in that story in the Times was associated with our water demand. And while the airport was a major, uh, our primary way, like the second largest water user in the state, Right, and obviously we have a whole city there at the airport, but um, uh, the maritime obviously has the large demand also, and that's, we have this infrastructure necessary to serve the, the vessels and other things. So I'm, I'm just also concerned about capacity to do all that thing, and, and also to, in terms of justifying the cost, to look at the full economic implications. I'm just wondering, really is is cruise part of that calculation yeah so thank you commissioner that's a great question i so on the waterline project i will speak that was approved earlier today on the consent uh, calendar i will say that project is the actual users of that are both the cruise and 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 um fishing industry so that the cost of that project is shared by those this particular project cruise ships will not use it but as you said uh, and that's why it, it, it's part of the whole ecosystem. And when cruise ships are there, then fishing vessels can't be at the cruise spot and they are here. So we look at the financials altogether. So that's why I shared this slide about the Terminal 91 financials. And that's how I think about it in terms of just the way our accounting systems work. The, the, if you look down into the nitty gritty details, it doesn't uh, we don't account for it that way. But when I think about it and when I'm reporting on it here to you, I think that is part of the, the justification uh, for this project and why we're um, and, and why I have included it here. So I, that's a great point, Commissioner. Just, just to look at that figure, though, when you have the pre-construction, consolidated pre-construction at 91 for cruise operations, so that's revenue, pre-construction revenue? Uh, yes, that right now the revenue from cruise operations is 30 million plus. All right. And so, and then, so the cruise operation expense is the 13 million. That's operational. That's not capital. That's operational. And just to be clear, that also includes all of the uh, corporate expenses, uh, allocated expenses, et cetera. Right. So total. 
the piece of yes. the waterline or the piece of this is not is not allocated. in this not yet at some point we're going to get there though, right yep all right thank you thank you i had a couple of questions myself um director jones Stebbins, you mentioned that there is a third party that is reviewing the cost estimate process is that something that is happening now we have What's not yet uh, entered into contracts to do that no that is our we are intending to do that we have um, not when not, will that become well, is that going to come in front of commission what's the process for that that so, you imagine yeah so it the size of the contract would likely be small enough that it doesn't need to come to commission but i would imagine that the results of that especially if there's changes in our processes like we want to come and we need to adopt policies that um require a higher risk level or something that i imagine those would come before commission and to be clear i was not speaking to these cost estimates for this project being reviewed but our process for doing all cost estimating going forward yes that's helpful because you're recognizing there's some level of pattern here that is making that's triggering that correct so I, I also understand that there was an executive review panel that recently completed um, a review of our capital project delivery um, and that was presented to executive director metric is that gonna, are we going to be briefed on that as a commission uh, you know I don't think that we have that schedule that's certainly something that we could do if that was uh, if that was a wish if it speaks to yeah. these particular projects and the, the significant increases I would say yes President uh, Mohammed, I think I think that go, that would be rolled into or perhaps coming back and talking about improvements to our whole capital delivery that I was I spoke about at the retreat. That would be one part of it of how, you know, just the parts that uh, uh, Director uh, John Stebbins was talking about, and that could be part of it because we are using those different that assessment plus just our thoughts of, you know, going back to Commissioner Calkins' comments there. Do you have enough resources? Are we staffed correctly for that? And that's part of something we can we can. Uh, definitely brief the commissioners uh, in total about process improvement for capital delivery in our in our in our footing and that actually may be a good discussion into our budget i'm just thinking a lot as we're talking right. here that may be a good uh entry into the budget discussions you know especially as we talk about capital going forward for the next 25 and, and beyond that and, and uh that so that would be a good time i think to do that and come back to the commission with like okay we have this, as we know, the 5.6 billion, and then well, how are we gonna achieve that? And here's kind of the plan. Yeah, so that would be helpful. Back. Obviously, not prematurely, whenever you guys are prepared to make that presentation. I think that was a, a shared uh, priority area that we heard during the retreat for all the commissioners. Um, my last question is from Mark. You had mentioned the federal grant funding, it not being worth us going after, because it would, it would add additional costs. Can you just break down that thinking, like how much more are we talking and why would we not yeah, go I, after that? It seems absolutely. like we would go after every stone that we can turn in this yeah. case. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is something I, I didn't mean to uh, certainly be any, in any way dismissive of that. We did look at that as, as an option saying, maybe this is something we wanna look at to uh, reject these bids, reevaluate the scope, have a look at these grants. Um, Talking with our grant folks, we think that if we were successful, we'd see a grant award somewhere in the order of five to $20 million, which is not uh, insignificant. However- And that's uh, close to what you guys are asking for, especially the 20. That's correct. Um, but at the same time, that grant funding would come with significant uh, additional specification requirements. 
um, the Buy America, Build America uh, requirements for electrical equipment, which can add to lead time and also significantly increase some of the costs and administrative costs for the construction. We went back to find out what we thought that might cost, and the estimate was about 15% additional uh, would be the expectation we'd see in the increase in bid prices if we had those additional provisions in there. That's bidding today. Like I said, this process would also take about a year, so we'd be bidding in between one and two years from now, and we'd see that additional escalation as well. So in the alternative two, you see here that there is a chance that we, we might, uh, total cost of the port, we might see that reduce, but we may also see it increase. We might not be successful in our grant application, we would get the higher prices later, and we have to uh, incorporate those even if we were successful. So our range of estimates there was that if we'd see a project total between 90 and 120 million dollars, and uh, most significantly it involves the risk of rolling the dice again, so to speak, in the market um, at a later date, and we don't see uh, escalation abating uh, anytime soon. So that's, that's really helpful to just hear you guys' thinking on that. Yeah. Um, my, my question to that is, I know that you guys have said breaking down the project that would not make sense, but considering that there are some funding option, did you guys think about breaking it down for the sake of going after some of these grants that might apply? Maybe not to the entire project, but parts of it that would make more sense yeah. for it. We, we talked with the grant folks about saying, you know, has, has anyone actually uh, applied for uh, these grants post-award? Could we take the package that we have? Could we get the, the most, best of both worlds? And, and they weren't aware that anyone had, certainly not successfully, that this would not be a competitive project if you were already under contract. To try and add those provisions into the contract would be very difficult, if not impossible, was the read that I got from our contracting folks. And to cut the project into pieces, there are so many interrelated pieces. So for example, the replacement buildings that we have are being replaced because we have to improve the ground underneath them. We have to improve that ground because of the seismic requirements of the pier. So very difficult to do one without the other um, and still meet code. We could try and, you know, you'd have to split the project in half and then you'd pay uh, the administrative overhead of two contracts. So there are a number of challenges in trying to parse out individual pieces. We're going to look for opportunities during the construction to any, any potential grant funding we might be able to apply for and receive, maybe not merit, um, and other ways to get efficiency working with the contracting partner, but uh, we didn't see a way to break a project into smaller pieces and achieve any efficiency. Director Jones, that, Mark, that's really helpful. Thank you. If we approved this item today, is that something that your team could still revisit? Maybe not that particular grant, but other grants that are possibly out there and the possibility of considering breaking down the project in chunks to go after maybe not that fund, but other funds that could be out there. So once we, once we award the bid, we will not be able to break it down. We will certainly be continue going out and looking for opportunities, but once we award the bid, that has we have committed that that contractor can deliver the whole thing. We could certainly go back and look for uh, grant opportunities, as as Mark said, that we apply after the fact, but we would not be able to break it down at that point. Thank you. That concludes my questions for staff. I'll move forward. Thank you again for the, the presentation and for answering those questions. Um, are there any additional questions for staff? Hearing no further question, is there a motion and a second to approve this item? So moved. Second. Commissioners, are there any uh, additional discussions? 
I, I would just like to point out your, your point about like the solar cells, the cold ironing, the sewage treatment. These are sort of like jewelry that kind of hangs on a dock that you know could lend themselves to potentially external funding opportunities. That especially for these, you know, climate commitment act type mm -hmm. or or uh, you know infrastructure grants that are going on with the EPA for ports. It just seems to me that there are components like that that may not interfere with these other construction issues. Thank you. We we will look for those opportunities. Any further comments? Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners say aye or nay when your names are called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Chev. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Hesitantly, aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. <laughs> All right. Moving to item 11. Um, we're moving forward on to presentation and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record, and Executive Director Metric will introduce it. Thank you. Bear with me one moment. This is Agenda Item 11A, the 2024 International Policy Priorities Briefing. Commissioners, this is the first time we are bringing forward an International Policies Priorities Briefing for your consideration. As you know, aviation and maritime industries are global industries. And as the port continues to meet and lead in many areas like our Green Corridor, it is important that we take our efforts to global forums and interact with our counterparts around the world and engage in discussions on issues that have to be addressed from global efforts as well. So uh, with, with this briefing, we'll cover our international priorities as well as highlight opportunities for engagement. We'll seek your adoption of its agenda at the next commission meeting on February 27th. And so our presenters are uh, Melissa Parks, Government Relations Policy Analyst. And then we also have Stephanie Mine. Um, is she available, I think, virtually? Uh, Environmental Program Manager, Aviation. And then I also saw uh, Karen Zog Black walking around. I don't know if she's there, too, <laughs> to answer any questions. But uh, I, I turn it over to Melissa. Well, thank you, Executive Director Metric and Commissioners. As he said, I'm Melissa Parks, Government Relations Policy Analyst, here to present our first uh, draft international policy priorities um, slide. So we're here today because the port's increasing our international engagement, and Commissioners and Executive Director Metric asked for these policy priorities to be brought before the Commission. Um, so presenting these priorities is an important opportunity to get your feedback and it lends greater transparency to our work. So this briefing also follows the other government relation uh, agendas that you've already adopted for local, state and federal work. So today I'll be providing some context around why are we engaging internationally, how have we engaged, um, and then go over some of the priorities that we've developed for this year. Slide. So. Driven by the Century Agenda, the port is working to achieve ambitious goals that maintain Puget Sound as a premier international gateway for commerce and tourism, while ensuring equity, sustainability, and quality of life for our region's residents. We pride ourselves on being leaders at the forefront of change in industry practices, including our own. And to make large-scale change for global industries, we need large-scale global action. We can utilize the change that we're making at home as an examples for others internationally. And this is really our 
international currency. It's why we're invited to speak at some really cool and interesting um, global forums and meetings. So attending these meetings, we also get the opportunity to learn and share with other ports and the industry at a wider level, helps build trust, develop new ideas, foster relationships that are so important to collaboration. And at the port, we have a very successful history of collaborating with our partners on voluntary measures to make progress ahead of requirements. And we can utilize that experience internationally as well. That said, and what this slide is trying to illustrate, is that the farther we get from our sort of direct sphere of operations, the less influence we have. Um, the solutions agreed to globally will have a significant impact and we wanna be part of the dialogue, but also be thoughtful about the time and resources and where we see value in our engagement. Um, next slide, please. So uh, while this might be the first iteration of our international policy priorities on paper, it's certainly not our first international engagement since I've been at the port a little over two years, you all and staff have participated in some major international forums and leadership missions all over the world. And when we talk about how we engage in person or through written comments, it's also important to understand that in some cases, when it comes to uh, the two major standard making bodies for our industries, so that's the International Maritime Organization and the International Civil Aviation Organization, um, the port is represented by the U.S. federal government or industry associations. So it's important that when we think about engagement in those particular U.N. bodies, um, we're really trying to influence the position of our own government or industry association. Um, so engagement doesn't always mean leaving town. We also host international partners at the port. Last year, Seattle was one of three cities to host an Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Ministerial, where the port was front and center for 21 uh, member economies from around the Asia Pacific Rim. We also have our sister port relationships. We're in great companies. Some of our sister ports, including Busan, Kobe, Rotterdam, and Singapore are all very successful and at the forefront of innovation. Finally, our associations, industry groups, non-governmental organization coalitions, they're an important collective voice internationally as well. Um, and then there's always written comments, which are much less fun than traveling, but still important for communicating details. So uh, when these priorities are finalized, they can be another engagement tool. So uh, next slide. Okay, so here's a look at the uh, categories of priorities that reflect work that port staff are already engaging in internationally, as well as some emerging issues that we wanna track more closely. Um, and in addition to these categories, staff also developed a set of broad principles around the importance of collaboration and transparency, equity, environmental justice, and sustainable development that will underpin and also will embed in our advocacy. So I'm not gonna go into detail on all of these categories, but wanted to give some general comments. So for one thing, we tried to tie these policy priorities to actual policies, but those don't always exist. So as an example, under marine health, ocean acidification threatens our marine ecosystem, but there's no international policy that's specific to acidification. Um, but we are the only port part of the International Alliance to combat ocean acidification. And so we want to include it, highlight it as a priority, encourage awareness, um, and to share our efforts to reduce carbon emissions overall, which is leads to acidification, um, as well as supporting the nature-based solutions that we're experimenting with, like kelp and eelgrass enhancement. 
So we'll also be tracking opportunities to engage around alternative energy standards. Other countries are ahead of us in terms of developing and deploying the technology. So it's an important opportunity for lessons learned that could help shape our advocacy around sustainable supply chains and development uh, here at home. And then switching gears from environment, human trafficking is another important global issue. Staff at the port are working hard to implement our commitment to combat human trafficking at our facilities and encouraging tenants and industry partners to join the effort. So we'll plan to track opportunities to share the work we're doing here more broadly. And then the port is engaging more around building sustainable tourism regionally and the Global Sustainable Tourism Council is developing best practices or implementing best practices. So we wanna track that and engage or look for opportunities to share our work and also our Washington tourism partners. Next slide, please. Okay, so I wanted to share some more detail around priorities on climate emissions because these tools are being actively developed for maritime and implemented for aviation. And similar to the broad principles I men mentioned earlier, staff also developed a group of priorities that support and encourage action around climate change specifically, and that decisions should be based on science, data, and solutions developed with those who are most impacted. We also wanna see climate information shared widely with the public. So looking specifically at aviation, it's ahead of maritime in terms of uh, agreed policies and goals to reduce emissions from the sector. So now they're in implementation mode. Um, we'll continue to engage and support the International Civil Aviation Organization's target of net zero by 2050, primarily through uh, work to accelerate the uptake of sustainable aviation fuel, as well as participating and tracking new environment uh, related standards and recommended practices there. Um, also, an example of an emerging issue, both aviation and maritime are um, considering new alternative fuels. And we want to track those developments as standards. Um, we want to make sure the standards uphold the principles that I mentioned, and also consider potential safety aspects um, from an airport, seaport, and community perspective. So for maritime, last year, the International Maritime Organization updated its goal to phase out emissions from commercial ships. and. Unlike aviation where implementation is underway, Maritime's really in the thick of developing their policy tools, including uh, a fuel standard, an economic measure, and ensuring a just and equitable transition. So we will be um, following those very closely. And then outside of official policy channels, the maritime industry is moving quickly to test new fuels and technologies through green shipping corridors. These are meant to be proving grounds for zero emission shipping and no two are the same. So as the port continues our efforts with our Pacific Northwest to Alaska Green Corridor, we'll continue to sh uh, exchange ideas, lessons learned, find ways to coordinate and collaborate on uh, what comes out of that work with the dozen or so corridors that are underway. And finally, shore power electrification is a decarbonization solution that we know well. There's room here for better standardization on, on connections. Um, and there's also increased global interest in shore power where we can really share um, our experiences with other ports. Next slide. Okay, so that wraps up the briefing uh, on our first draft international policy priorities. With your feedback, we'll look to finalize these and request adoption at the next meeting. Before we close, thought I'd include a list of some upcoming, really just spring um, engagement opportunities. Um, and also just a reminder that Stephanie Mine is online and she is our sort of aviation environment uh, expert. So 
with that, I look forward to your questions. Thank you for the presentation. I'll open it up for commission questions. Commission questions. Commissioner Fellman. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate having this uh, new category of consideration. I um, I guess uh, two thoughts. One is um, the at the IMO, we've been really focused on the MEPC, and I keep on wanting to talk about the SDC, the Ship Design Committee work, and, um, and how they jive together and went, went to that one conference. So I just I want to just be sure that we are still very much on top of the SDC deliberations for the efforts to reduce noise as well as to reduce e emissions. Yes, we are. <laughs> so that um, ship design uh, subcommittee handles, uh, basically they're looking at the relationship between energy efficiency through ship design and reduction in underwater noise. And I think that they've made some good progress there. They're going to recommend at the upcoming Maritime Environment Protection Committee uh, that we enter a, and we being IMO member states, uh, enter a two-year experience building phase with their new underwater noise guidelines, which I think the port could really mm. highlight some of the work that we're doing here um, along with that and uh, tracking the energy efficiency uh, really closely. Excellent. I just see the scheduling for the MEPC, but not the SDC in the, cal in the calendar. And there's also the, the GSTC annual meeting coming up. All that's, all that's good. I guess the only other thing was, um, you know, in terms of the, you mentioned how, like with the kelp, there isn't this global forum on, on ocean acidification, although the state of Washington was very much a leader in that effort initially. Um, but the idea that we could use it as to elevate awareness, and I appreciate that sentiment. And I was looking at the opportunity to, with the Green Corridor, to also use that as an opportunity to elevate uh, the ocean noise issue. We're talking about quiet green corridors. While we deal with them traditionally as separate entities, slow steaming is a way to both achieve noise as well as <clears throat> air emission reduction. So I, I, I've raised this just in, you know, informally, but you know, the port has its strategy and I'm just never clear how to provide, you know, input on thoughts like that in order to do, um, elevate both of our interests organizationally, but to do it concurrently, you know, and when we have like sustainable aviation fuel legislation moving right now, you know, I, I, I'm always looking for where the commission input on these uh, feedback on these sort of things come in. I think right now, I don't know whether the bill died today or not, but um, you know, there was like this created this threshold of 20 million I don't know if it was gallons or barrels of SAF had to be produced before we could say it should be utilized in local airports and stuff. As far as I'm concerned, we should just be incentivizing the use of SAF whether or not we're producing it. We want to eventually produce it, but I think that this was a hurdle that was put in. Again, legislation, budget, led, uh, legal are the three places really where commission direction is most easily articulated. And so I just am trying to find a appropriate venue for, at least in this forum, to try to elevate both the noise and the emissions concurrently. And I just throw that out as one of the options. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, thanks so much for putting this together, Melissa. It's very exciting to see that we're elevating 
um, what we do on a state and local level to the international level. And, um, you know, I've obviously had a, the chance to attend many international events over the last year or two. And, you know, I think um, for me it's been extremely um, valuable because uh, you learn a lot from these events. Uh, but I think that uh, part of the uh, uh, the risk of us engaging so much internationally is that there's something that happens like every month. Right. I mean, if you put together a calendar right now of all the international supply chain related events, there's probably one like every two weeks. Uh, and so I think, um, at, you know, in order for us to avoid kind of being spread too thin and or feeling like really uh, burning car out. You know, I think it helps sometimes to go to these events with clear objectives and goals so that we're not just going for the sake of going. Um, it could even be that we have certain speaking engagements where we're presenting what the Port of Seattle is doing, uh, but also uh, going to talk to a certain partner, potential partner on certain initiatives and whatnot. Um, I think we run the risk of just going to these things for the sake of going th to these things. Um, and and there, I mean, look, the MEPC last year was very, very informative for me, but if we were to be quite honest, the Port of Seattle really had no role in that, right? We were just there to watch, which we could have done online. I'm just being really candid, right? And so um, I think as we go forward and think about these priorities, uh, which, which are great priorities, we really need to look at what opportunities there are international, internationally and how those opportunities internationally promote our priorities, right? And, and, and further that agenda as opposed, to, as opposed to, oh yeah, they're talking about hydrogen, we should just go, right? Uh, and so I, I hope we're, I hope we're a little uh, help we can become more intentional. I'm not just saying that for our, our staff, I'm also saying that for us as commissioners as well, that uh, you know, uh, there needs to be a clear purpose and objective uh, in, in what we're pursuing here uh, on an international level. It sounds like I just triggered Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> he already got his platinum status. <laughs> Actually, it's diamond status. <laughs> Director Kilroy, do you have some comments? Yeah, if, if I may. Uh, Sandy Kilroy, Senior Director for Environment and Sustainability. I, um, just a comment. I you know, absolutely concur with uh, Commissioner Cho's um, comment about uh, being selective, being strategic on what uh, conferences we go to um, and having clear objectives. I do think, um, uh, and, and maybe I'm commenting specifically on the IMO one, um, one of the reasons that our presence at, at conferences and things like IMO, even though we're not a member state and um, working directly, is um, to, to help elevate um, a partnership around these issues. So um, most of these um, uh, organizations uh, are looking for local examples, looking for how this works on the ground and we are one that can provide that. Um, but in additionally, the work that we have to do in de developing alternative fuels and um, other uh, decarbonization efforts takes major partnership. And so the, I think the other value that each of you, I think, have experienced um, in your travels is um, how we build those partnerships over time. Um, and so I just wanted to add that to kind of why this international agenda and, and some of the, our presence at those events is, um, is important. But I absolutely agree 
it's being selective, strategic, and figuring out which ones we really get the best uh, bang for the buck out of. Thank you, Director Kilroy. Executive Director Metric. Thank you, President Mohammed, and thank you, <clears throat> Commissioner Pelleman and Commissioner Cho. I think if I could just comment my vision of how these this this agenda, and I really want to give a shout out uh, to Melissa Parks and the staffing over the last period, and then the whole team that's backed that up, including Karen Zuck Black and and uh, Director Kilroy's and her team as well, and then both in the divisions maritime. And I mean, there's a lot of effort goes into this because I, I think. The vision for I have is this is the touchstone of these things, uh, positions, so when we draft, and it's not just the travel, because we've used this a lot on input. Uh, Melissa talked about it, which is input to the uh, deliberations through the U.S. government. When we provide that input, they look for it from us. They value. Uh, ports are becoming more of a, uh, the implementer of some of these things in the, in the main when you look at, um, let me just give a discussion. If you look at just aircraft or aviation or especially in maritime, they talk about the ships in the flag states and the ships, but the ports are where all that happens. And so it's necessary for us to provide that feedback of how those things fit together. Um, and that can be impacting both the, uh, uh, both the position of, uh, of the federal government, of our national government engagement in those international forums, but also the international forums include the World Ports Conference and other things so that we have positions when we talk about and do presentations of what we're doing here. We're also having the side conversations where we're learning, but we're also pushing forward. This is this is best practices and learning best practices, whether it be the International Association of Ports and Harbors, World Ports Conference, our Port Authority Roundtable uh, participation, the Global Maritime Forum, where these issues are being discussed and they're literally pushing them forward. So I think it's important for us to be um, to have our positions uh, pushed forward to them, and this provides the touchstone. And really, I think it's going to be valuable for us as we develop, like, say, comments on a specific policy that may be appearing before one of these forums. And uh, even if we're not presenting, it would be considered by the by the our government to be considered as part of that. And I know that, and just our participation in these things, they they're looking for us as uh, uh, Director Kirwaier was talking about our our leadership in that as well. So I think this is a first thing, a iteration as we go forward. But I think. Uh, Commissioner Feldman, going back to your comment, is that saying hopefully we capture kind of where their position is so then we can we just go back, reference this as we write a response to something uh, and through our processes submit comments on certain things in certain forums. So thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. That was helpful and insightful information that both you and Director Kilroy provided. And I think those partnerships are important. And in addition, I will look at Commissioner Cho's international travel request a little closer from now on <laughs> since he decided to bring that up. <laughs> just Go ahead, Commissioner Baldwin. I, I just want to point out that, you know, some of the most important part of those meetings are over dinner. And uh, so those relationships are very important. And we should not um, underestimate or the importance of the relationships that Executive Metric brings to these international conversations. So the, the these are not the first time we're meeting with these people. And uh, those doors are very much open when you know the top lawyer at the IMO, when you know those folks, when you walk in, it's it's really much more constructive. So thank you, Steve, for your leadership in this realm, and we're all the better for it. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman, for those additional comments. Hearing no further uh, questions or discussions, I'll move us along to the next item. Um, moving on to item 11B, internal audit report
Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record and Executive Director Metric will introduce it. Okay, thank you just did, Commissioner Mohammed. Oh, so I, yeah, thank you for that. I, used, I was formally on audit committee. Yes, so I, I know, I, I saw it, audit. right there, it's great. <laughs> Um, and then I will note for the record, however, that Commissioner Calkins has left at 2.32 uh, p.m. today, and we still do have our quorum. Um, Executive Director Matrick. Thank you. Thank you, Clerk Hart. Commissioners, um, internal audit provides an important public service in ensuring the efficiency, compliance, and transparency of port operations. We're all deep, deep, deeply grateful to Glenn Fernandez and his team, as well as the Commission Audit audit committee that sets its agenda for his work. Internal audit has completed an impressive 16 audits in 2023. I want to note that today's presentation is mainly a recap of last year's work and, work and findings and many of the recommendations from internal audit are already being implemented. So that I'll turn over to Glenn Fernandez. Glenn. Thank you, Steve. Again, uh, Glenn Fernandez, the director for internal audit for the Port of Seattle and um, here to talk about the 2023 internal audit plan. So, uh, Michelle, next slide, please. I first um, want to give thanks to our audit committee, which is, was last year Commissioner Muhammad leading it, uh, Commissioner Cho, and Sarah Holmstrom, who's actually on the line today on, on Teams somewhere. Um, Sarah um, is our volunteer member from Amazon. She's a senior finance leader there. Uh, pr previously, she was um, the CFO for the Swimote. Swinomish tribe, uh, the Tulalip tribe, and um, you know, also worked for the state auditor's office. So she's got a lot of experience and she brings that and she volunteers her time. So thanks to her and thanks to our commission because without that, we wouldn't be able to do what we did. Next slide, please, Michelle. Our internal audit, uh, so we conduct independent objective risk-based audits and we look at a variety of items at the port you know, our operations, our technology, and our vendors. We um, help the port achieve its mission, and our, we, we strive to make sure that our audits contribute to the financial stewardship of the port, that you know, we are, we're accountable, we're, we're transparent to the public, that uh, there's adequate information for good governance at the port, and, and we strive to make processes better. Of course, we derive our authority from you, the commission, and uh, me as uh, the director for internal audit, I report functionally to you and uh, administratively to Steve. The next slide, and, and I just want to note that that is, you know, an industry best practice um, that um, we, years ago, um, there was a state audit and, you know, experts came in, looked at the board, and they suggested that as an industry standard, and we're following that. I am. I am a dual report. Um, so the inter IIA, or the Institute of Internal Auditors, has something called the three lines of defense model. And this is an example, you know, it's, it's world recognized, but it talks about the f controls, who's responsible for controls, and, and just the managing the organization. And the first and second line are management. So it's the first line of the people that actually do the job and do the work. The second line, you know, are internal controls, internal supervisors, other compliance functions. And where internal audit is the last line of defense and catching something before it goes outside and hits the media 
hits the state auditors or something that's negative. So we're like uh, the last goalkeepers out there. We all report to the governing body, which is a commission. And, um, you know, one of the things we try to do is work together. Don't work in silos. We um, work um, to make sure that we collaborate in everything we do. And we're all working and pulling in the same direction. So the model is pretty self-explanatory, but it's something that we embrace at the port and a lot of organizations that worldwide embrace this model. Next slide, please, Michelle. Some quick highlights. In 2023, we completed 16 audits. Uh, we do, as I mentioned, performance audits. We've got five of those capital projects. Just because of the amount of money we spend at the port, we put a lot of time into capital. Uh, information technology to protect the port from uh, cybersecurity risks. And uh, last but not least, limited contract compliance. A lot of the vendors, the, uh, concessionaires that work for us at the airport, at uh, the seaport, we periodically look at their revenues also and make sure that you know, we're getting paid the right amount. And, and, and that they're paying the correct amount, not overpaying or underpaying. So it's a win-win for both. Our audits identified um, four high risks issues, 16 medium risk issues, and several low risk issues also, which uh, management's actively addressing, as Steve mentioned, and you know, we follow up on these, we've brought them to the audit committee, and, um, and they're constantly being addressed. The ones that aren't get, do get the visibility. Finally, you know, as, we, as I mentioned, we do a lot of uh, construction work. And because we do so much construction work, uh, a lot of our stuff is also these GCCM construction projects, especially at the airport. And GCCM is essentially time and materials, or you know, you build instead of a lump sum, it's pay whatever you incur in costs and time and materials you get billed for. So uh, you know, th these projects work out well for the port. We uh, we do a lot of audits over here because primarily because the RCW 3910 requires us to audit, real-time audit all GCCM projects. So you'll see a lot of work over there. And finally, um, and one of the things we do when we do have audit reports, we pu post them publicly on our website to be transparent with the public. So any member of the public can go on, with the exception of security-sensitive IT audit reports, all our work is posted on our external website. Next slide, please. So a quick snapshot of our audits that we completed in 2023. On the left, you've got limited contract compliance audits. In uh, the middle, you've got the performance for operational audits, and, and we lump uh, our capital of construction audits there, and you can see we've got quite a few that we've done. The bottom three, as I mentioned, are required by the RCW to be done, and we do real-time auditing on those. We have an outside firm, as you know, that uh, does the work in partnership with us and then presents it to the audit committee at year end. And finally, the information technology audits in the far right. Aubrey, next slide, please. So information technology audits are important, primarily because of all the vital infrastructure that we have at the port. Everything that runs the airport, everything that runs Pier 69, the operations of corporate, and the port as a whole. We um, focus on something called the Center for Internet Security, their think tank, 
that's globally recognized that has these 18 key controls. And they say, if, if you do your audits around these and make sure that your controls are secure in these areas, you're going to, your defensible space just increases or the gaps in your, you know, your perimeter are minimized to the fact that, to the extent that uh, it's really hard for a cyber criminal to get in. So we put our efforts there. And, um, you know, year to, over the last five years, we've done about 11 of the 18 CIS key control audits, and we've brought that forth in non-public session to the audit committee and talked about how we can address the weaknesses and the issues there. Aubrey, next slide, please. Our information technology audits, you know, this slide essentially talks about um, key objectives of our audits. We look at the effectiveness of controls. We look at cybersecurity risks. Uh, we protect the port's critical in information assets. And uh, we support the port's organizational goals and objectives. So these themes will continue on going into 2024. They're what we've done historically and will continue on. Aubrey, next slide, please. On the capital front, commissioners, just because of the amount we're spending, um, you know, our, uh, uh, the close to billion dollars, our audits covered about approximately $182 million of spend. So um, some of the key findings that we've seen in our, in our construction audits in, in 2023 is strengthening contract language. For one, I know Commissioner Muhammad, you've pushed for us reviewing more, getting more into reviewing contract language earlier on in the process. And, and that's primarily because, you know, from our audits, we've seen that uh, contract language needs to be strengthened in certain areas, prim uh, primarily to minimize the potential for misinterpretation. Um, pay applications and change orders. Those are essentially billings when a contractor says this is what we need to be paid, that pay applications and change orders are when there are changes. But um, essentially, when they submit those, we've found that in certain instances, supporting documentation needs to be enhanced, at least in 2023, we saw that. Um, labor rates, you know, there were opportunities to improve um, documentation and guidelines for labor rates. This is when contractors bill us. And we also saw situations where there were overpayments, and we just need to make sure we collect those. So. Those are some of the things we highlighted in construction side in 2023. Next slide, please, Aubrey. So I'm going to go over quickly go over three highlighted performance audits from 2023. Uh, parking garage, payroll controls, and fisherman's terminal. You know, it's it's a sample of what we did, but uh, it's a quick uh, representative sample. Aubrey, next slide, please. So, commissioners, as you know, we've got one of the largest parking structures in the United States uh, with our airport parking garage, and it pulls in, generates close to 100 million in revenue a year. So it's quite large. Our audit focused on parking garage access, cash handling, just because of the amount of cash that comes through there, and then any applicable laws, rules, and regulations that we needed to comply with. Uh, primarily, you know, there's been the issue of after COVID, a lot of people parking there, leaving their cars there. The airline employees were there during COVID, and they've all been moved out. 
Now, you know, our audit focused on are there spaces that we can clean up? Are there opportunities to minimize abuse of uh, parking privileges that we grant to vendors and consultants and contractors? And uh, some highlights from the audit. Over the 18 months, we found 603 instances of people abusing their complimentary parking privileges, contractors primarily, and parking there for uh, more than the 24 hours that they're allotted to park there. We found that uh, employees also that had left the port, there were 99 cards that were still active, and 16 of which continued to be used after employees had left the port. And then concessionaires that had um, ended their leases, there was one instance of somebody still having their card and continuing to use it. So all of this is being addressed and being cleaned up, but the audits highlight these issues as we do that. Next slide, please, Aubrey. You know, payroll is one of the largest costs in the port at um, $317 million, representing approximately 67% of our total operating expenses. So we looked at payroll controls and we looked at what can we do to be better and more efficient. We've got many different payroll systems and a very complex process because of the labor agreements, because of, um, you know, the, the different departments that sometimes work in silos. And whilst one of our recommendations was to, you know, s simplify and standardize that wherever possible, we also found opportunities to become more efficient and, and be better and um, fine-tune our systems. For instance, the Maximo system was generating work orders that required staff to go out and do work that didn't exist because uh, a retired asset was still in the system as active and generating these tickets, and that had been going on for quite a while. So fixing our system so unnecessary work is minimized is one of the highlights of this audit. Um, next slide, please, Aubrey. And last but not least, you know, I think uh, sometimes we have staff that come out and ask us to do audits. For instance, the maritime group the director of maritime operations in this audit asked us to come out and do an audit and help them with their processes. So we take our expertise and we work within the business and help them become better. And in this case, you know, it was more about um, the billing and collection procedures at Fisherman's Terminal. So we spent some time there helping them out and providing guidance as to what we could do better and uh, fine tune our processes. Next slide, please, Aubrey. Our final slide, commissioners, talks about our 2024 strategy. We will continue to stay independent and objective. You know, we're, we're trying to enhance our processes by viewing our work through an equity lens and incorporating EDI into our work and to select audits and into our programs. So uh, working closely on that with the change team and with Director Bukta-Gesar's organization. Finally, we have an op opportunity to streamline our concession audit process and become more efficient there. Capital delivery, as Steve mentioned, is uh, big on his priority list and it's big on ours as well. On the cybersecurity side, we'll continue to focus on the remaining Center for Internet Security audits. And also we have uh, 
some new TSA audit requirements that have come out for 2024 that uh, we have to comply with, so we'll be doing those as well. Um, so with that, that concludes my presentation. I want to give thanks to everyone, and I know um, Audit Committee member Sarah Holmstrom is on the line if uh, she has any comments as well. Great. Thank you, Director. I can pause to take any comments or um, from Sarah. I don't see her on camera, so I'm assuming. Hi, Hi Sarah. Good to see you again. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Uh, I just want to say uh, thanks for allowing me to be part of the committee. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I really appreciate all the work uh, Glenn and team do. I know we asked a lot of hard questions and uh, push into a lot of the details, and they're always very responsive and uh, follow up with really good information. I really appreciate that there are work that you guys. Thank you, Sarah. You hit mute, but I see you. Your lips are still moving. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for your leadership on the audit committee. Um, I will open it up from for questions or comments from my colleagues. Yeah, no, look, uh, I just want to thank you, Glenn, and your team again for all the work that you do. Um, not always the most appreciated department in the, in, in the organization, but you certainly keep us accountable uh, as that is your main function. And it's been such a pleasure to work with you over the last couple of years being on the audit committee. I think this is some of the most important work that we do uh, as an organization, as stewards of taxpayer dollars, uh, as people who want to be uh, accountable to the money that we're spending, you know. Um, I think we're in some crazy times with costs going up, with inflation, with, with you know, all these other factors that uh, we, we don't really control, so to speak. Uh, but we do need to keep tabs on. Um, and so I really appreciate all the great work and the partnership that your department provides to the, all the other departments and organizations. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Fellman? Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate having these annual reports so I can express my appreciation for all the work that you do, even though I've spared you from being on the audit committee for a while. And uh, But really, it is one of those jobs that we're greatly appreciative of, and I think might not be the most rewarding at times, but uh, it's important grind that I, we all appreciate you doing. I'd like to see if you could look into um, the lights at the airport parking garage because I think they lie. <laughs> <laughs> the, the green the green parking spots are not always open, but I don't know if we can figure out what the problem there is. It's a it's a little a bit of an issue these days. Um, but actually, more more when actually I see with the focus on DEI, the um, I think the port has taken on this incredible hurdle of trying to look at equity spend. I I. I Salute this effort. I can't believe how difficult it must be um, to get your head around it. And I'm just wondering whether or not there might be some independent eyes looking at it or whether you've been already on it. But it, it seems to me that it's going to be a work in progress to try to assemble all those data. It just seems um, something that uh, perhaps over time, as they get their legs under them, perhaps it would be worthy of an evaluation if there's thoughts to be brought to the conversation. But since I'm not on the committee, you can just take it for what it's worth. No, it's it's a twofold thing. One, as you mentioned, it's a continuous effort. You know, as uh, there's equity spend, we partner and we do look at that, and, and we make sure it's going to the right. It's being used efficiently, and 
you know, internal bureaucracy doesn't slow it down. As we identified in the commission this year, there were some opportunities um, that need that were designed for larger businesses that were being applied to smaller businesses as well. And um, we've worked to streamline and address some of those, and our CPA organization is doing that as well. But Commissioner Fellman, another thing we were doing, we're, we're going to be looking at is integrating into our audit programs opportunities to um, to to better help and promote equity, diversity, and inclusion in any process, not just in our spend, but in anything we in select processes or select audits. So. So, um, you know, it's a new push coming across the industry where audit functions can contribute to equity, diversity, and inclusion as well. Thank you. And just one clarification that the clerk told me that you are a dual report, but only through the committee. So it is a kind of a slight distinction that the dual is to the two commissioners, I think, rather than the body at large. But I think it's kind of academic, but for what it's worth. Clerk Hart? Nothing further to say. Okay. Um, yeah, the bylaws don't call out this particular position specifically as a dual report, but it does recognize that underneath the, the committee structure is my understanding of that. Thanks for that clarification. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed serving on the audit committee with Commissioner Cho, and um, I think your team plays such an important function for the Port of Seattle when it comes to transparency, us being good stewards of public dollars. Um, so I want to say thank you to you and your team for the work that you do. Um, under the 2024 audit strategy, um, I didn't see improvement on contract language. I know we talked about that a lot in 2023 in regards to mega projects and even smaller projects where we saw contract related issues with um, grassroots organizations that partner with the port, like through, through the South King County Fund. And so I'm wondering, is, is there um, is that going to be something that will be incorporated later? Just improvement on contract language to decrease potential misinterpretations and maybe in your dual report to that committee, is that something you guys will be looking at more closely? And is there going to be a possibility of some sort of recommendation coming out of the committee that comes to the full commission? Well, the, the way I approached it, Commissioner Mohammed, is um, I did spend some time with Deputy Director Karen Goon, and we talked about how we'd integrate that earlier in the process into all contract, new contracts that are going out. So without slowing down deployment of a contract, we'll get in there earlier with these contracts and we'll spend, you know, use our, our resources to review the contract template, the language and everything in there. So that process has already been started and embedded. Um, we, we don't have it formalized, but we've integrated it as part of our GCCM audits that we do and for anything new, any new mega projects that are coming out. As far as taking it on a smaller scale, you know, we'll have to assess resources and see if we can do it for smaller ones as well. But clearly for any large project, we've already put that into place per your recommendation and your guidance. Great. And is, is there a memo for that? Is there something that we might have missed as a commission? No, there's that? nothing formal on okay. it, but I'll be happy to put that together. And what what um, we suggested doing is uh, Deputy Director um, Goon and myself will meet with you and uh, talk about what we're doing and, and brief you on it before we send out a memo. Great. Thank you. Um, well, that concludes my questions. Thank you again for the presentation. I will move us along in the agenda. Thank you, Commissioner. No problem.
So moving us to item number 11C, Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record and then Executive Director Metric will introduce it or maybe Chief of Staff Pritchard. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and read that into the record. This is uh, agenda item 11C, the 2023 committee review and 2024 committee work plans briefing. Commissioners, committees allow for deeper dives into area in areas of interest for the commissioners, provide additional information. Uh, this briefing will report on the 2023 activities and highlight 2024 work plans. And the briefers, I'll just turn over quickly to the uh, Chief of Staff, Aaron Pritchard, and then to V. Wind for the uh, Commission's strategic advisor to discuss that work. So I'll turn over to Aaron first. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, V for pulling this together. Uh, Aaron Pritchard, Commission Chief of Staff, uh, for pulling this all together uh, from everybody uh, and bringing this forward today. Um, and just wanted to note, you know, that as she brings forward these commission, these committee work plans, uh, the work plans create a snapshot of what at this time uh, staff has said is they believe are some of the most important items to bring before the committees and some of the input from commissioners, what they believe that they would like to see heard this year. But these work plans do evolve over the course of the year as new items come up and as commissioners identify priorities that they really want to focus on as well. Uh, so I'll go ahead and turn it over to uh, uh, V and she can proceed with the presentation. Thanks, V. All right. Well, thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. For the record, my name is V Nguyen, Commission Office Strategic Advisor. The item I have before you today is an overview of commission committees. I will briefly cover notable committee work in 2023 and what's ahead for 2024. Next slide, please. Uh, in addition to the charter committees, we had two ad hoc committees that were stood up last year, one focused on small business and another focused on airport workforce conditions. Uh, the small business ad hoc committee, uh, per the order that created it, sunset at the end of 2023. The topics of that committee have been absorbed by the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. Um, the airport workforce conditions ad hoc will, will continue its work into 2024. The first meeting is scheduled next month on March 19th. Um, I'll make a quick note that there, there is a forthcoming ad hoc committee that will be added to the roster of commission committees, and we'll come back to that later in this presentation. Um, next slide, please. Um, so first up, we have um, arts. I'm going to try to not read the slides to you too much just because I know it's been a marathon sit. So um, in 2023, some notables um, from, uh, that the committee accomplished was developing a strategy to align the port-wide art program and that there are new art installments at multiple port facilities at the airport, World Trade Center, and Pier 66 and 69. Um, next slide, please. Looking to, to, looking to 2024, one of the main projects of the art board is that they're looking to accomplish are more art installations with the port's uh, capital improvement projects. These include multiple projects throughout the airport and Fisherman's Terminal. Um, next slide, please. Along the art, uh, art board's continued work on art installations, the board will continue to work on three other areas, which include maintaining and increasing our art programs and public engagements, continue to acquire, conserve, and maintain artwork across all port facilities. And finally, the art board will continue to work on other projects, such as a website update, uh, continued temporary art programs, and continue to evaluate the port-wide art strategy. Um, next, please. Uh, so really quickly about the audit committee, I know you just got a very detailed briefing from uh, um, Director Fernandez, sorry, this is not in the script. Uh, 2023 had a total of seven meetings and oversaw 16 audit reports. Committee also oversaw an annual audit, uh, financial audit and received and responded to the state auditor's annual accountability report. So next slide, please. Plans for 2024 include a review of external and internal audits with two items for future consideration for approval, an internal audit budget, and an internal audit annual plan, committee is, is, is expected to have a similar number of public meetings this year. Next slide, please. 
All right, the Aviation Committee. Uh, 2023 focused on substantive work that reflect the fact that travel demand continues to grow with the SEA and staff across divisions are working hard and as fast as they can to continue delivering a world-class experience. Big ticket items included delivering um, included ground, ground transportation access, access plan updates, an accessibility order, the FAA noise policy update, airport dining and retail match plan review, and a briefing on lessons learned through our taxi pilot program. Next slide, please. Uh, for 2024, the Aviation Committee will be providing oversight for several projects in the port's $5 billion five-year aviation capital improvement plan. Commissioners will also examine the airport, airport's ground transportation plan a program and the launch of a process to update the Part 150 noise remedy program. Uh, should the Commission pass a sound installation repair and replacement order, the Committee will also oversee the first stages of that project. Finally, the Committee uh, will look ahead to 2026 and the port's work to prepare SEA for FIFA coming to Seattle. Next slide, please. All right, equity, workforce, and um, development. 2023 was a big year for this committee with the port's equity policy directive crossing the finish line. It was adopted by commissioners in April of 2023 after over a year of work led by the commission office and Director Gaysar and her team. Other work in 2023 included the initial development of the port's language access order, developing an anti-human trafficking work plan, uh, anti-human trafficking work plan, and briefings on some of the port's key workforce development programs, career-connected learning, the port's apprenticeship and priority hire programs. This committee also tracked the progress of the WMBE barrier study. Next slide, please. Uh, for 2024, a robust work plan has been developed that includes report outs required by commission orders on language access, the port's equity work, the South King County Community Impact Fund, Youth Maritime Career Launch, and our equity and budgeting work. We will also have several items from the Economic Development Division, um, as we are, uh, we are continuing the work of the 2023 Small Business Ad Hoc Committee here. So we will have briefings on the Community Business Connector Program and the International Market Study. Additionally, we will have um, updates for goals and work in diversity and contracting and priority hire through committee. Next slide, please. So for ethics and governance, the commission clerk in the legal department will be undertaking review of the commission's, ethic code, uh, commission's ethics code in 2024. A review of the final recommended code may be presented to the ethics board members in 2024 for their feedback. The board will ultimately take uh, commission's final adopted revised code and begin to create new rules of procedure for the governance of its operations. This work cascades to the governance committee as that will be the body reviewing the work of staff and making their final recommendations on ethics codes amendments to the full commission. Next slide, please. The governance committee may also see work in 2024 related to the delegation of responsibility and authority policy directive, should the commission consider revising the threshold levels uh, contained therein. Next slide, please. All right, this brings us to the Sustainability, Environment, and Climate Committee, aka the CC Committee. Um, agenda topics in the 2024 work plan for the Sustainability, Environment, and Climate Committee are items that are required by the committee charter, uh, items that will be going before the Commission for Action, long-term projects, and items that are commissioner um, priority issues. This slide shows the extensive list of items covered in 2023, and this is foundational for the work in 2024 and a great reflection of the work conducted by staff in 2023. Um, so next slide, please. 2024 will uh, advance three critical goals in electrification and decarbonization, in climate resiliency and emissions reduction, and sustainability and environmental initiatives. Um, this list is this list is huge. Um, rather than reading it all to you, uh, just you know, you will get the updates, and we will work closely to make sure that briefings happen um, and in close coordination with staff 
in the commission office and in departments. Um, next slide, please. Uh, so uh, next up is the Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee. Uh, 2023 members oversaw and guided the port's role in the first update to industrial land zoning at the city of Seattle in over a decade. This is crucial to preserving the, wa the working waterfront for the port and our partners. Um, other items included briefings and work on transportation through industrial lands, including work on bike lanes. Committee also received updates on real estate from the Port of Seattle and uh, Northwest Equal Alliance study. Next slide, please. I know that I believe the will committee members are uh, Feldman and Calk. Oh, I see. That was 24. Yes. Um, so for 2024, items on the docket for briefing and potential action include updates on WASCA as it relates to industrial uses, forthcoming land use and transit initiatives anticipated at the city of Seattle, such as the comprehensive plan update and move Seattle levy. Uh, Directors McFadden and Joan Stebbins will provide an update on their joint study, future lines of business for the Port of Seattle. And we should have updates on cruise issues, including economic impacts, and, and finally updates on the real estate portfolio and how we are working towards a fully activated waterfront. Next slide. All right, so finally, we have our ad hoc committees. Um, the Airport Workforce Conditions uh, Ad Hoc Committee was created in uh, quarter three of 2023 to bring together issues that were that previously straddled more than one committee. This committee covers child care needs, uh, potentially uh, exploring accessible and affordable health care, a third party code of conduct to, for tenants to ensure worksite civil rights standards, as well as compliance with the port's human trafficking efforts um, are, are discussed. And then hygiene products at, the, at port managed facilities. Um, additionally, there's work underway to stand up another ad hoc committee focused on the port's work on civic assets, such as the aquarium and Elliott Bay Connector and tourism under the leadership of Commissioner Fellerman will also be items for this committee. Uh, this ad hoc committee is due to meet four times in 2024. Next slide. And that is the end of this presentation. Um, so thank you for your time, commissioners, and thank you to my colleagues for their work to get this presentation ready for you today. Happy to take um, questions and invite my colleagues to provide answers. And if not, back to you, Commissioner Mohammed, or Commission President Mohammed. Thank you, V, for the presentation. I will open it up to commission questions. Commissioner questions? No? Commissioner Fellman. I'd just like to appreciate trying to pull this together and you really speak too slowly. But the, uh, um, I, I, do, I do thank you with the, being the last presentation to actually get through this as succinctly as you did. It was very good. Um, the, the need for us committee members to actually get together and hone in on our priorities, I think, is something I know I haven't had a chance to do fully. So the, as you will see, the SCAC committee is quite a long list. And I think uh, Commissioner Cho and I will probably hone it in. But I, I do want to make sure that. Um, you know, some guiding principles that, you know, we all are busy people and to just be briefed by staff for a second time, if it's coming before the, the board at large and there's no budget ask associated with it, there's no policy direction being requested. I mean, we can get one briefing. I would hope that these committees are going to be making use of commissioners in a way that is not just briefings, otherwise, it's just another meeting. And so, um, so you know, so, and, and some of these things are, a lot of them are carryovers. It's like, uh, these are not easy tasks. So projects that we had before, we carry on, make progress on. And I appreciate you showing the 23 going into 24. That's a, that continuity. And some of these things have been uh, initiatives of the commissioners that would be obviously a priority to continue. But 
I think really if uh, for the committee to be of service to the commission at large, um, which is I think a lot of what we're trying to do here is to divide up the, the workload, is that we would dive into things so that when it is a budget ask, we can rely on our colleagues to have done that extra work to be able to say, I don't have to be the expert on this. I know somebody else took a deep dive. Um, that's the goal. So, so to me, that those things that have a budget request that staff are working through, um, those should be really what, uh, and, and ideally that, that it's not a fully baked thing that we're just asking to sign a check. So, but that's really where I think our, our value is. You know, we can have two, two, ones if it's just a subject of interest, right? So I just hope that we look at our lists of things with that in mind, that uh, this is really of service to the commission and we can get all the briefings we want if that's all we want. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. I, I, I believe that my colleagues and I have all uh, really, rooted to, uh, really rooted in the principle that uh, committee should be a discussion point uh, for staff and commissioners to get together so that you have the information you need, they get the guidance that they need, and that if there are decision points that uh, need to be elevated, that this is absolutely the right space for that. Thank you. Any additional questions or comments? No, I think given the breadth of work that this entails, we might need some more commissioners. <laughs> <laughs> For less travel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, I do have a couple of questions. <laughs> well, B, first of all, thank you for putting this presentation together. I, clearly, it took a lot of hard work and, and time. So gratitude to you. I wanted to know who um, is on the governance committee for 2024? Current and past president. <laughs> I'm stuck with Joe. <laughs> that will be fun. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. And then my other question was um, regarding the. <laughs> the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. I know that we folded the Small Business Committee into that one. But I feel like it's a kind of a partnership between the Office of um, OEDI and um, the Office of Economic Development with McFadden. Can't we break that up so we can clearly see what is happening when? So that's not all, it's not all mixed together. I don't want to lose sight of the small business work that, that um, Dave McFadden is leading on, as well as some of the studies that are happening, the, bar the um, barrier study, for, for instance. And so is there is there a way to do that? Yeah, you know, one thing, if you don't mind. Because didn't, we didn't want the small business uh, committee to sunset. We wanted it to not, not for us to have additional meetings if there was a way to have it be an umbrella that falls under it, but it's like a very focused, those items are very clear and we can see when some of those small business discussions are happening and when those uh, reports are being reviewed. I think in particular because it was you and Cho, Commissioner Cho, on that small business committee, and neither of you are in that committee now. You have items of interest within that committee. That I saw one jumped out, for instance, you've been along with the international market study the whole way. Like making sure that you are both kept uh, up to speed and briefed at the same time is something that I think of very much within a regular order of what we do. Does that sort of answer your question? And then 
how the work plan breaks out, you can we can make it a little bit more clear, I think, is what you were asking as well. Commissioner Cho and I, if we're both serving on also the governance committee, like that me that might be a perfect because I think the issue was scheduling, right? So if there is a way where we have a, a standing time on the calendar that is for governance committee, but it alternates, right? So we're having the small business discussion and then we're having the governance discussion as opposed to adding a different date on our calendar. I think that was the, the biggest issue. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, commissioners, these are uh, your committees with in your work plans. And so we can make it work for however best works for your schedule and for the information you want to get. So yes, I think that's very possible. That would be helpful. Yeah, if you guys can come back and let us know if that's, if we yeah. can make that happen. Yeah. And I will make sure that the work plan for the Equity Workforce Development Committee gets to both of you um, by before the end of the day. And for the record, I really enjoy serving with Commissioner Chong's committees. Uh -huh. <laughs> Don't want anybody to take my joke seriously. <laughs> Um, well, I don't have any additional questions, but I thank you again for the work that you guys put in to bring this before us. That concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions related to committee referrals from commissioners? I will just make a quick comment. Um, we were at the airport today and we met with the FAA administration's director, Michael uh, Whitaker. And that was a very fruitful discussion. Executive Director Metric and I um, joined, and also the um, Director Lance Little was also there, and many of the aviation staff. And um, we were able to show him all of the incredible projects that are happening at the airport. We thank them a lot for the millions of dollars they've poured into our airport. And we talked to them also about future projects that are coming online. And also, um, it was also an opportunity for us to elevate some of the community concerns around the airport and um, some of the legislations that we have supported through the start committee whether that is the uh, repair and replacement um, uh, uh, legislation as well as we uh, told him that it would be really helpful if we had a, um, a deadline for the environmental study that is happening survey that is happening um, that is something that is at a limbo for community members and they ask about it and so that was another opportunity for us to elevate some of the things that we hear as commissioners and so um, I just wanted to share that with my colleagues that concludes my comments Commissioner Feldman to follow up on that I saw in our uh, notes that um, I think the Friday memo that uh, the FAA reauthorization we do not have the uh, repair and replace package got pulled out by uh, Senator Cruz. And so um, elevating the importance of our discussion that much more. And um, I don't know if you want to speak to your initiative for tonight or? That, yeah, that's right. And I, my understanding is Senator Patty Murray is working really hard to help put that back in. And so I'm hopeful on that end. And we are having a listening session for um, our potential uh, repair and replace sound installation uh, commission order that is on the schedule for the February 27th meeting. There's one last comment from me as well. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to uh, wish everyone a happy Lunar New Year. It is the year of the dragon. Uh, the dragon represents vitality as well as good fortune. So wishing all that for you all and all who are born on the year of the dragon. That's it. Thank you, Commissioner Cho. Executive Director Metric, do you have closing comments? Uh, President Mohammed, no, I don't. That's a great, uh, covered all the things there. And 
I, I do, well, I should say one thing is just, again, reflecting back, I thought that was a great State of the Port event last week and appreciate all, all the work that went into it, and especially commissioners and, and your, your thoughts about where we were and where we're going. So thank you. <laughs> all right. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there's no objection, we are adjourned at 334. Thank you. Thank you.